going through some tweets before this. Was, one of them was kind of weird. <laughs> it kind of, I don't, I think I read it wrong the first time because my first reaction was, was kind of like an FU moment. But it, it's a Salesforce tweet. It says, demand for AI skills. And it shows a couple of charts going up, up, up. And then it says, so devs, W-Y-A, so where are you at? And then it's a link to ZDNet's article saying, uh, ZDNet covers the latest in demand for AI talent. So I don't know. I guess they're trying to say AI is going to replace your job developers. But developers, we need you to help to help replace yourself right. by being AI developers. Yeah. You got to remember these these tweets from companies. It's it's just pure capitalism, and it we is. are we, we will never be as expendable as they want us to be. No, and they they keep painting this picture like the, like there's this easy button, and it's not because the the hard part isn't writing the code. The hard part is the the our design, the architecture, the interactions, the usability, all of these other things that we take time to to solution out in the design. Yeah, does AI know if you're building the right code? No it, no, it doesn't. It's just doing what you tell it to do. And, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure, like, it's all going to get better and stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying the GitHub Copilot. I mean, sometimes it's annoying and I have to turn it off depending on the context. But sometimes it's like, it just does, It's sometimes it's really impressive. Like, wow, how did it know? It just, like, it, hmm. you know, it wrote, you know, three or four lines of kind of code for me that I would have had to at least think about for a few minutes maybe even Google go to Stack Overflow mm-hmm. and it just like pops right in and I look at it I'm like wow that's exactly what I need that's amazing yeah um, sometimes I wonder how it even knows this stuff but you know this is on greenfield stuff like what it, I mean and I'm sure it'll get better at like you give it a code base and say um, we need to refactor this and we're going to replace something I want to talk about FFlib with uh, Sockwell lib. Mm-hmm. you know can it, can it do stuff like that I mean maybe I think it will be able to it might be able to but yeah I mean like I don't know I definitely think our jobs are changing. I don't know. I, I think and they will. They're going to. I mean, if, if nothing else, it's your job will get better, actually, because you, you know, will be able to deliver more value as a developer. And, and I know this is, this is not an apples-to-apples comparison, but, I mean, we've heard this before with low-code. Low-code tools, declarative, declarative programming, all of this stuff was happening as well. That shit's still all a bust for me, man. It is. And are we? Are, is, is AI going to turn out to be the same thing? Dude, the low-code stuff, the draggy-droppy, it's, it's just tech debt generator. That's it all it is. And you know what? Honestly, for certain companies or organizations, it's probably fine. It's probably fine. It's not. But you know what? Sometimes <laughs> you just need what can get you down the road. Well, and that's that's how we end up with with where we're at. Um, in fact, even where I'm at working right now, there's there's a certain amount of yes, we have technical debt. Yes, we'd love to build that out with a whole proper domain model and all this kind of cool stuff. But honestly, we have like a month to meet these businesses' objectives, or the company's not going to issue company bonuses type stuff because yeah. we have to meet these numbers, we have to meet these initiatives, and everyone's just trying to get to that role as quickly and as yeah. non intrusively as possible. And that's the directive. Because we're all moving as fast as we can. There's not going to be a perfect time where we can sit down and re-architect the whole thing no, and make it all nice and perfect. We're all moving forward. We've all kind of made decisions and caveats and you know compromises along the way in designing a system that it's it's and all the people who were originally there are gone. And so it's just there's so much to development. There's so much to maintaining software. There's so much to to keeping these things running that people gloss over. Or at least in my opinion, certain people or certain marketing initiatives gloss over. You know, we're always we're always pulled between getting stuff done and doing stuff the right way. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, 
the more you can do things the right way, the more you can move fast and hit your deadlines. Right. It's just, and it goes, it's, I mean, we're basically talking about technical debt just in other terms. Yeah. Uh, exactly. The less technical debt you have, the more you will be able to uh, hit the goals and hit better goals and have better velocity. Yeah. But if you're, if you're really forced, if you're kind of in death march territory and you're forced to just like slam that MF or through and get, you know, we have to be able to check the boxes that we got these features done on the sprint or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to do that. I mean, yeah. and I mean, the top engineering companies in the world have to do shit like that sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. they also have, you have to go back and then um, fix stuff because it just slows, it's going to slow you down in the future. Yeah. And, and, and that exists. And I think, I don't know where this falls trying to bring it back to the kind of AI initiative, but I don't see how AI, how AI in general from a coding perspective improves that story at all. Except for maybe writing some code. I mean, but that's not the hard part. Uh, so, and I'm, I've only been using, like, we're talking about, like, Copilot type stuff, that type of thing? Sure. Okay. Um, I've only been using it mainly on Java and Kotlin stuff. Um, I have been using it on, it's funny, even, uh, it, it, I, don't, I don't know if it actually understands languages or it just, it's just got such a big database in its brain of, like, how just these different textual symbols come together that it, it kind of mm. just doesn't care whether it's Java or Apex or Kotlin. It just kind of knows what's supposed to come next. Right. And it's definitely saving me time. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't opened it up yet, so I don't really have a good, clear perspective on yeah. it. But. I, don't, I guess you have to pay for it. I don't know. I, I, was, I guess I'm lucky. I went to turn it on because um, it's through GitHub, right? GitHub Copilot. Mm-hmm. And I meant I'm, as a, I'm, a, I'm like a, a part of the what of the organization like the Apache committers organization mm-hmm. and so any of these like acknowledged open source organizations if you're a member of one of them you get it for free which was I was like oh that's great oh that's cool because I pay for so much stuff we all I, pay for so I much mean, stuff I mean I'm <clears> just thinking of all the stuff I pay for like I pay for Plex I mean stuff that I just actually not stuff that I have to pay for to get it stuff that I'm just willing to pay like I pay Plex because I want them to stick around I, I got verified on Twitter because I want Twitter to stick around like and I would like to see less ads and everything too mm-hmm. um, but I do like like things that I use that I want to stick around and I don't necessarily want to be the product I'd rather be a paying user of the product mm-hmm. you know that's kind of stuff I, but I was yeah so I was willing to you know pay for Copilot so it was a very happy surprise when I was like oh shit this is like one instance in my life where I'm getting something for free I usually don't you know <laughs> can I do a small tangent and say well, that but it's, you know what but, but before we move from that yeah. hold that thought yeah it's I'm I'm really glad that companies like Microsoft are doing that they're like they're and Salesforce does this too in its own ways it's complicated but um, but you know they're just like hey we're we will not, we're not going to charge all you guys who are out there, guys and gals. Oh, it's a generic term for me, sorry. Um, who are who are donating your time and doing stuff for free? Like we're gonna we're gonna support you. We're gonna pay your GitHub Copilot tab for you. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but it also helps them improve the technology as it's getting exposure to yeah. more things. So yeah. it's it's a win win. Yeah, and I think win wins are important. I don't think anybody should knock that. Anyway, back to your did you bookmark that thought you had? Oh, I did. And it's okay. a completely off-topic tangent, okay. but I was just, just going to say that I've actually noticed that I miss ads because I've i have done a lot of ad um, expunging, I guess. I don't know what else to say okay. on a lot of services and things like YouTube and things like that. But I find I'm actually a little out of well, touch. That's something I pay for. Is I pay for YouTube Premium, which, by the way, it's kind of expensive. Yeah, I pay for that, and I have YouTube is it, TV. Is it 30 bucks a month now? 25 30 Because I, I have the family uh, one. 
So uh, that my health twenty five. Yeah, yeah. But my so I had this is like six months ago. A credit card, my credit card, my main credit card I use for stuff. Um, you know, the number got compromised or whatever, so they had to send me a new number. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because a lot of I think it's bigger companies. Um, they must be signed up with these credit card banks or processors who I don't know who it is. But I didn't have to give them my new number. They just automatically got it. Oh yeah, I had the same okay. same thing. Except that expires at some point. I think you get. I think it's like a six month thing because on, I, not, I noticed that suddenly, like I had three things that are like, oh, we can't run your credit card. I'm like, well, that was six months ago. And it's I just think- they just they, there was some grace period for me to change my card, and I didn't. You know, yeah. The- I wonder if it's the same technology that Apple uses for their card because you know how they. I think every time you purchase, it like generates some number or something. I, I think it's different from that, but I, I don't know. But anyway, bottom line. Um, there's that rain again. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, tin roof. I needed a good wash. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, and I knew this would happen. I washed my car on Friday. Oh, so this is your I fault. I just got so dirty. I mean, we, you know, we have 50% chance of rain every day since, yeah. like, February. Yeah. So you just have to, at some point, your car gets so gross, you're like, I don't care. I don't care if it's going to rain today. I'm getting my car washed. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, so, um, oh, yeah, my... YouTube, what's it called? Premium. Yeah. Um, got, they they shut it off. Uh. <laughs> and I immediately, I started seeing ads, and I was like, "Oh God, I forgot how terrible YouTube is with that." And I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube. I have cooking stuff, and like I've started, I've started. I picked up fishing a few months ago. I'm like, just of course, YouTube's just full of fishing videos. And my yeah. kids watch a lot of YouTube. They probably shouldn't, but they do. Don't judge me. Um, don't judge me. I don't care. And I just I don't want them seeing ads, you know. And yeah. so I'm just it's it's. It sucks, but it's worth it for me to pay like, and because I feel like it's expensive, twenty five bucks. That's more than like Netflix and stuff. It is, yeah. Good lord, yeah, it is. But no, I agree. I mean, I, it's expensive, but I guess to a certain extent, I do feel a little bit out of touch because it's so much of just kind of what's new or what's what's even like things like movies that are coming out. I accident, I lost touch of what's coming out. Yeah. Not that anything good came out, but. <laughs> just saying. Um, has the, is Indiana Jones supposed to be any good? I don't know. I heard it wasn't, but okay. yeah, I'm not, not going to watch it. I'll, unfortunately, and that's the other I'll thing. I'll watch about, it when it comes out. That's on the other Blue thing Ray. about YouTube is is you, you <laughs> when you go into premium and you you don't have ads anymore, and because these algorithms are so tuned to your bubble, you really that bubble tightens. Oh, it does. I know. And you are so isolated. Yep. Um, and so, like Indiana Jones, you asked me that. Well, everyone on my any uh, any of the. Uh, movie reviewers that are in my feed all are crapping on it but I don't really know if it's any good or not or if it's just these small group of people that are on my algorithm and that to me is a bit of a problem it's hard to say you know I'm not sure I like the curation that that happens I mean in some in some ways it's like oh yeah this is things I'm interested in these are things I want to watch but at the same time if that's all I'm watching I'm I'm further digging myself into into isolation. Do you trust IMDb ratings more, or um, do you trust to Rotten Tomato more? I've never trusted any of the ratings. I just well, always kind of uh, use them as okay. a as Don't a. Don't be pedantic. Answer my question. Which one do you Which one do you feel like aligns more with you, IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes, or something else? Probably IMDb. Me too. Yeah, I just feel like Rotten Tomatoes. They're just. There's just too much of a difference between the the user ratings and the critic I know, ratings. I know. I just like I'm sorry. This wasn't like the art film of the year or whatever. It's like it's a good fucking movie. Yeah. Who, who are those big critics? There, uh, Siskel and Ebert. Well, I never. Well, I never agreed. One, I'm, one I'm still alive. But. Well, it was it was it was rare that I ever agreed with them because they were so into they were such movie buffs 
that they were they were critiquing movies on these very high level, deep introspective yeah, things. And I'm like, dude, it's a popcorn movie. It's an action movie. Yeah, we're just we're just no. there to be dumb ourselves and enjoy it. And you're crapping all over. I think it. this is the definition of when people take themselves too seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's like you don't understand, bro. You have these families going to see a movie. Yeah. They don't give a shit about what you're talking about. Yeah, we don't care about the, this, this introspective plot or the fact that the MacGuffin is, is obvious or, yeah. or all this Most kind people of don't stuff. know what a MacGuffin is, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do love me an egg MacGuffin, though. Those are delicious. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's pop the stack back to AI. Okay. Um, so the other side of this story, I think, is, you know, we talked about the developer side, but I think the other side that's being pushed, and this is, goes back to that original tweet, which is, um, well, with AI, you shouldn't have to write code at all. You know, you'll just interact with the system, and the AI will kind of help you along and, or present options and do things like that. So, you know, are we... It, the story gets muddled, I think. You know, is it that developers need to be be part of the AI story and developing AI solutions, or is it that AI is meant to replace the developers to the point where you don't need them? You know? Yeah. But then the other thing is, how much do you want to trust it to let it automate it? So you say no. We're gonna we're gonna we're also, gonna we're gonna hedge even, our bets. You don't even know where the code's coming from. Well, I mean, like, you say whose code is this? What was it trained on? Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's that's, that, a, that's this is why most companies still can't even use AI generated code. Well, then you get to the kind of hybrid model, which is we'll let AI present the options and we'll have the user decide which one to take. That's still not clean room though. Like that's still, you're opening yourself up to, especially if you're a big company with a lot of assets, you're totally opening up yourself up to massive lawsuits. It just, it has, this hasn't been, this hasn't gone through the courts yet. Yeah. I mean, it's starting to, but who was it just the other day? It was a big lawsuit this past week. Um, somebody sued a company because they said it, it was their code that the AI generated that ended up in someone's code base. Well, I forget who it was now, but this is going to happen. We're going to have we're going to have to test these through the courts and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I find the whole not, it's not clear at all I the find, legal what legally the, how this is going to work. I find the whole code ownership thing to kind of be. I don't well, know. I, you don't like it. You don't like it. But it's the world. It's a legal framework that we live in. Whether you like it or not, I don't like it. It's just, I, don't well, I don't understand like it, it. Like if you told me to write a loop, I'm going to write a loop. Probably the same way as a hundred thousand developers are going to write a loop. Yeah, I don't think that's really. Uh, I know, but where, where does the line draw? Is is it like a specific type of algorithm? Is it the type of variable names used? Because certainly companies have used those those those. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, well, the Oracle, what do we call them? The waypoints or um, landmarks to say that this was our code. This was taken from our code base. Yeah. Look, they named it the same thing we named right, it. Right. Right. You know. I don't think the name of something really is a copyright. Could may, maybe a trademark if it's if it's something they trademark. But um, I think it's more of a definition. Uh, what was of the big Oracle? It was the Oracle Google Java law, lawsuit where Google implemented the Java APIs um, for Android, but they called it Dalvik. So they wrote their own VM and everything. It was called Dalvik. Mm-hmm. Just happened to have the Java APIs like for every, and it implemented the entire Java library system, right? Um, and Oracle sued Google. It's a big loss. I think they ended up losing, but the, but it really came down to our APIs, like the the API specification, just like the you know the names of methods mm-hmm. and, and the parameters they take and the return values. Is that copyrightable? And that was what had, I guess, never, never been decided by courts before. Hmm. Um, I think Oracle lost that, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I guess that's, that's why it goes to the high-paid lawyers yeah, it's, to it's figure an, out. Is an API 
Um, I mean, obviously, the implementation probably is. I mean, if any of the stuff's copyrighted, like implementations of things probably are. If you just copy and paste someone's implementation or something, that's probably. Yeah. Um, but is it just the API specification? Is that is that copyrightable? Is that a work of art that's copyrighted? You know, I don't think we knew, and I, I guess the answer is no now. But I don't know. It's still still very weird. Yeah. There's so many patent trolls. Um, and is yeah. it patents or copyrights we're talking about? I don't know. They they, they, they intermix. You, Copyright is more on actual textual works of art, whereas uh, patents are ideas and, and processes, I think, or methods. Yeah, I think we're talking about copyright here, not necessarily patents. I mean, I think yeah. there's a clear, at least, documentation for that kind of stuff, and it can be proven to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but what we're talking about is kind of that fuzzy middle, that copyright, that, you know, I used to work for Company A, now I work for Company B, which does something similar. Obviously, I'm the same person, which means I write in the same style. Um, is my does the way I write code become the ownership of someone else of another company? Right. <clears throat> and and to that note, does API does AI fall into that same umbrella? I, I think the, I think the question is if you're a company that's a big target, meaning you have a lot of money. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of egg on people's face too, because the it company might be. might be like, "Oh, that's our code. See, it's in our code base." And then some low load of goes, "Oh yeah, I wrote that with AI." Right. Exactly. Like and and, and, and now everybody's starting to claim it. Yeah. Well, that was the whole problem of like, you know, you had to have, if you wanted to create like some kind of a competitive product or something, you really had to make sure you did a clean room implementation of it, meaning that everyone that was working on it, they could not have had any exposure whatsoever to like if anyone who like worked for the competitor built, built the other thing, they, they cannot be anywhere involved whatsoever because it's no longer defensible that, that you need to be able to say this was a clean room implementation. That we had everyone that worked on it had no knowledge or insight or experience with how this competitive thing was built, and now with AI, it's like you, well, you can't say that because you really don't know what your AI model was trained on, unless you trained them, unless you did the own training of the model, and you knew you know exactly what corpus it was trained on. Yeah, but is that the way the world works though? No, these, it's these not. Clean <laughs> this clean room software well, development. Yes, yes. I guess that's not how people hire. They want to. Oh, it absolutely is. What? Okay, let's say that, you know, some networking company startup is going to build some competitive thing to some Cisco thing. Like, mm-hmm. now, and this is, it becomes a double-edged sword because they would love your experience building stuff like that. But also, if having, if them hiring you and having you on the project um, prevents them from being able to say they had a, a clean implementation, then they, they can't, they can't do it. No, I understand that. So, I'm just saying so, most most so that's and that's been around. I've heard that my my whole you know kind of professional life. I've heard about these issues. I guess I've never come across the that. AI stuff is is a whole new twist to things. The, you know, I, don't know. I was about to say the only thing I use GitHub Copilot on is open source stuff. That's really not true. I've been using it on commercial work as well that I'm doing. But whatever, come see me. You can you can have my. I don't I don't have anything so. <laughs> <laughs> So good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we can move on to other topics. Yeah. It's just one of those stories that's going to continue to evolve, I think. We're, we're going to touch on it every so often and try to see if it makes sense. Who knows? Maybe a year, two years from now, we'll be like, what happened to the whole AI thing? No. No. You don't think so? No, I think it's here to stay. I mean... Okay, so I'm going to offer this. Okay. What happened to the whole low-code thing? 
is AI an evolution of the low code? Well, I have a, this is like, that's a great question because so much of that stuff is, and I saw some, I mean, I remember in the, in the like in the, in the oddies, is that what you call them now? Like 2000s? Um, mm-hmm. The oddies? There was, like, there was, here's an example. There was a, a really cool, it was like an integration product. It was called Grand Central, Grand Central, I think. Hmm. And it was killer. And it was like this low code, draggy droppy stuff. It looked pretty cool. I've never really built anything with it. Um, but I've seen so many things like that. that outstanding demos, fantastic demos, and they're just—they're not—they're gone. They're all gone. Yeah. But you know, I don't know. Salesforce is low code, and you know, Pega, right? Pega can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're low. They have a big low code. Thing. I mean, everyone's got some low code stuff. Oracle's got low code stuff, and you know, the question yeah. is like, what are people really building with this low code stuff? And the re- the, the truth is. Hopefully, simple stuff, and the more because the more complex it is, the more technical debt disaster it's going to be. Because there's just not. First of all, it's, it gets extremely cumbersome if you have to have shapes and fl- and flowcharts to to specify every little bit of logic. Yeah. But also, the the bigger issue is you can't stay dry with this stuff. Now I know people are right now are saying, but well, you know the, the flow you can like reuse stuff and yeah a little bit a little bit but nothing like with code and, it, and honestly it comes it comes down to what are you what are you building what are you building and what do you need it to do right now what might you need it to what do you know uh, actually better question what for sure do you know that it needs to do in three or six months from now I wouldn't even say what might it need to do because that's just Yagni stuff you, know, you ain't gonna need it don't don't worry about that yeah um, you also don't want to. Set yourself up that like you're definitely gonna you're you're building a big cliff that you're going to fall off of. Sure. Yeah. So it's just always the balance of that stuff. You know, in the consulting, you're not really in consulting anymore. Right? It's not consulting. No, no not consulting. Um, in the consulting space is just just like I mean, everybody wants to use flow. Well, here's what I want to say about that because I think I know we were trying to get off this topic, but I think another side of all of this is the human element. I'm gonna have to pause and get, get another beer in here in a minute. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish, Sean. Well, where'd that come from? That was was that Con? No, who was that? Jay Z. Uh, and it was, uh, was Kanye. And was it Taylor Swift? It was Kanye. No, it was Kanye. Yeah, I think it was Kanye and Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what I was gonna say is the human element. Um, I think the reason people like to do the things that you're talking about in Flow is because they enjoy creating. They enjoy the aspect of taking these requirements and building something and has seeing it work. Yeah, no, Same I, thing I, for I, me as a developer. Totally. I enjoy taking the requirements, writing it, and seeing something work. There's a, there's a feedback Absolutely. mechanism there. It's creative. I did it's creative. and mm-hmm. I built this. Yep. And I think with AI, you're going to lose that. Oh, I see. And I think you're going to lose, you're going to lose people's passion. You're going to lose people's um, uh, mm. motivation. In, in, in your workforce. So it's not, maybe it will get to that point in the future, but it's not there yet. Like, I mean, AI is completing like a line for me, or at the most, maybe like three lines. And it's just completing what I already knew I wanted to do. And it'll just be like, oh, are these the three lines you want? Like, if let's say you're building that one thing that like it's just one of these things it's just great at. Let's say you're, um, you're building a SQL statement and you're mm-hmm. going to have in that and so it's a big it's a string building exercise right mm-hmm. and you're going to have a bunch of fields that are you know each separated by a comma and a space or however, however you like to format mm-hmm. you know and but you're looping through let's say you're looping through a list of field names sure. and you're building the string and you're at you know you're doing field name comma and then you loop through again you know you're, and then you add a pen string uh, field name comma mm-hmm. well 
GitHub Copilot, every single time at the bottom of that, will just do the thing where it, like, it chops off that extra comma at the end that you, that you always end up with. Mm-hmm. Like, it just does stuff like that automatically. It's like, yeah, that's stuff I was going to do anyway, but it just literally saved me 15 seconds. And it does that all the time. I mean, that's a productivity but, thing But I don't for feel sure. like I'm losing that. I don't feel like it's taking, it's, it's sapping my creative juice away from me. That, that, I don't feel like that's creative at all. It's, well, never, me, it's never gotten creative well, for me. Let me pose this scenario then, because one thing I enjoy about handwriting code, and, and I mean, there are certain aspects where I do some kind of autocomplete or I don't know what we call them, templates or something like that, look-ahead templates, um, is that as I'm writing, I feel like it's a conversation with the system itself of here's the instructions I'm giving you, and as I'm telling it, I'm also validating it. I'm also still thinking through the ideas and the solutions. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I want this field, or oh, wait a minute, why do I want that field, or why do I need that? Where am I using that? And there's this, there's, there's this aspect or process to it that kind of self validates at the same time. Whereas if you're just kind of, um, I need a query and it just dumps it all, and then you go and start doing stuff with it, you don't, you haven't really understood that or thought it through because it just kind of just happened. Um, I, I'll go back to our code reviews that I was talking about. We do quite a few code reviews, and there's a reason for it. It's not. There's a reason for it, and I find that even though there, we get the overview or when we look at some of the requirements, and I'm reading the code because it's already there. I'm just kind of looking for 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 cues of something that might be wrong. Oh, you misspelled that, or that variable assignment doesn't look right, or that naming doesn't look right, or that log that the way your indentation is is a smell to me. Let me look at that a little bit more deeper. Yeah. Um, but I'm never I'm never reading top down everything that's happening to validate that all the instructions and everything are going to make sense. I'm relying on whatever automated testing and everything else they've done to, to validate that. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what we're getting with AI is we get this kind of code base and we're looking at it for things that jump out at us, but we're not really reading it and understanding it. Yeah. Does that and make I, sense? Yeah, it kind of does. I, I, I think I get what you're saying. Um, and I'm, I'm also, I've been a very, I would say like tangential or, or like surface level user of Copilot. I haven't done the thing at all where you like you start a comment and you say this you know I guess you could prompt it anyway like write mm. me a method that does this I've never I've never even tried that um, and it's it's interesting because sometimes it gets stuff wrong but you can cycle through other you can say get, well get me your next hint or your next whatever mm. like use like a you know at least in IntelliJ uh, that's, and I've only used an IntelliJ um, right but you can you can do like what is it like option like right bracket or left bracket to like cycle through um well, that's not what I want. Let's show me what else you think this would be. Basically, is basically what you're saying. Um, it's pretty cool, but yeah, I've never done the thing where like just write me a whole, you know, what's a whole out of whole cloth? Is that the term? Uh, method or something like that, or like or just like even a solution. There's a whole new vocabulary I have to learn. I, know, like, too, I mean, huh? people say that you know, is, is it the um, the Chat GPT? I mean, it's it's kind of good. Or some of these other actually, and some of these derivative tools mm-hmm. that are like you can you know, there's tool, there's like these website. Gener- I mean, by the way, like. I don't know what to tell people about web people who build, you know, like basic websites. That's that's just done. That's done. It's, that business is gone. Oh, building websites. Yeah, I mean basic websites. That's that's just gone. Uh, the business is gone um, because you can. There's plenty of these tools that are that are use uh, generative AI that you can just say, you just tell it, make me a website that does this, that has this kind of imagery, that blah 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 blah, and it's everything. The images, the CSS, and it's all like uses the right frameworks, and you can even tell which frameworks, and just just textually you can tell it's it's pretty crazy. Um, I don't know. I wonder if they. But that's in the but same that's aspect. All, that but, we're, if, but if the work you're doing is boilerplate, like rote stuff, I mean, yeah. 
Or if, you know, if you're an attorney, if you're an attorney and you're doing basic shit, you're, you're just producing the basic same documents all the time as yeah. an attorney, that's gone. That's gone. That business is gone. I don't know. No, it is. I'm telling you right now, it's gone. <laughs> if I remain skeptical. Well, just like the people whose jobs it was to um, crop stuff out, or uh, uh, what's it called where you select stuff out of images in Photoshop to like take, take out the background. Like, there's people, I mean, hell, had the, you know, half the Philippines was, that was what they were doing, was just cropping Photoshop shit. And that's completely gone now. But that's been well, gone because for a while now, I mean, Photoshop, even before AI, I don't think it was AI. I mean, and I, Photoshop I, and some of these other things have gotten, and even the, like, the iOS and stuff has gotten so good at that that you, we, we, it's just not a job that anyone gets, will get paid to do anymore. Yeah, and you reminded me of thought I had before we started um, was that it seems like the stuff that's, that's, that is applicable to all this AI stuff where it's going to get rid of stuff is the stuff that companies have already tried to outsource. Yeah, and the, they they have some some level of comfort and capacity to say we're going to outsource this part of this feature or this function or this or this business um, to say a foreign market for cost reasons. Yeah. And I think that's where these companies will turn to AI for that. But I still think yes. there's a certain amount of high skilled people that will need to be absolutely at the top end of it. However, however. We're going to run out of those top level people because there's nobody at the bottom working their way up. That's that was my question. If if what we're saying is all of the easy programming stuff is gone, well, how do you how do you go from a junior engineer to a senior engineer? Yeah, stay. In- what's, what's wait? What what is the actual career path there? How do you? You can't get to be a senior person at something unless you get years of experiences doing it as a junior person. So if and if those jobs don't exist, and what are we? What's going on here? How does this it might it might bring us back to the world of internships and uh, mentorships? Uh, yeah, that's, those are fraught with issues too because they are. But I mean, you, I mean, the medical field does that. You you can't stick a someone who just graduated from med school making life and death decisions. There's there's an internship program. There's a there's oh a, no, there's stats on that. Well, <laughs> there's stats on how many people die because of of new new uh, fellows and fellowship programs. Well, in, in my head, in it fact, doesn't work that No, in fact, even the time of the year, if you, especially if you, if you go to a teaching hospital mm-hmm. as a patient, like if it's in the time of the year when the new fellows come in, or the, what, are they, what are they called? Um, uh, are they fellows at that point, or are they, oh, what are you, but they're, they're doctors, right? but they, they're not like board certified yet, and they have to work under someone else anyway. Um, but yeah, during that time of the year when like the new, the new doctors come in, mm-hmm. The mistakes and errors and uh, the deaths by errors go. It's all. It always spikes up. Like we have all the data on that. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, fortunately, programming and, and software is not life and death. So um, but, sometimes so it my, is. My point is, uh, no, a lot of yes, software is not not my yeah, for, not stuff that I build usually. But thank God. <laughs> but anyways, my point is that it might turn into a model like that where where there's additional education, there's additional um, say internship or fellowship programming where. Where you go through a process before you become certified, before you become that, um, which increases the burden of education on a single individual. Um, I just, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like so much of the business world outside of medicine is is so cutthroat, and there's, it's so greed driven that they're not going to want to pay these interns because you're going to have to answer as like let's say you're at your you know you're running engineering and the CEOs asking you like why why are you telling me we need to pay these interns when the machines can do it for free well for that reason because we need to 
we need it's just like any sales funnel you got to have sales you got to have the big bottom end so you can consume you got to have a big do, bottom do you end like of, a big bottom end <laughs> you have a big bottom end of, of of talent so that you can eventually have another senior developer or senior engineer to replace your engineer your current engineer who's about to retire out yeah all right can we pause so i can get another beer yeah i could see you squirming and we're back <laughs> just like that pause the cause <clears throat> power of editing well, i haven't got to any of my topics yet and not that they're that i don't have great topics i kind of just been enjoying, I have our, a quick I've been one. enjoying our conversation i have a quick one okay because uh, you mentioned ff lube yes I, have, I do want to talk about i do want to talk about database access abstractions can we talk about uh just really quick uh because this has been a long time coming, and I've I've always never understood the name, but it's not Financial Force anymore. Oh, they, they rebranded, right? What is yeah, that? Yeah, Certinia, or Certinia. I don't know. There's an accent above the N. I don't know how to. There's a great Greek restaurant. There used to be a location here, but it closed. But it's uh, uh, run by the famous chef uh, Jose Andres mm-hmm. called Zatinia, which is great Greek restaurant. Cool. So what was this financial force thing called? Because it sounds a lot like Zatinia. Zatinia? I don't know. It's got a, it, I don't understand this accent. I've never seen it, but it's just a straight line above the end. I don't know what that means. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the, like the long vowel sound. Oh, in, so it would be Zatinia, right? I don't, know. I don't know. Why do people do this? What? They just pick terrible names. <laughs> it's better than financial force. Uh, is it? Yes. I wonder what dr- drove this name change. I think to... Well, I think because they're probably trying to differ. Are they re-platforming? I don't... They might not be re-platforming. Well, (laughs) who knows? (laughs) It's possible. But it's probably just to continue to differentiate themselves from Salesforce as a services and product company. It's weird. Who was... was, What was the other company? It was kind of one of the big, like big ISVs on Salesforce that re-platformed off of Salesforce. I don't think we've... We talked about it. I forget who that was, but I don't think we ever... I'm curious to get a follow-up on that and find out uh, how that's going. It might be going really well. There's a lot of companies I mean, that are... I is like, that's boiling the ocean, man. Uh, well, I think I think what's what's happening is a lot of companies are, because it's so much easier now to run your own platforms and there's so many ways to do it that from a uh, business standpoint, yeah, I mean, right. so many companies are looking to, to try to increase the profit margins. Do you think that's, do you think that's why they're re-platforming, though? Because you know, they won't have to pay Salesforce 15% or whatever? In general, probably. I don't think that's the reason. I think so. I don't think it's the reason. I think so. Okay. I think there's enough limitations and there's enough... Because um, we're not just talking about you know giving a cut to Salesforce or, or anything like that. We're also talking about the engineering effort to host it and deploy it and manage that deployment God, and support with, those... Dealing de- with the platform, support John. Support the platform it's, um, because is, 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 is 10 times more difficult... I mean, imagine how hard it is to support your product when you own the entire infrastructure and then tack on something that you cannot control. Salesforce is down. Heroku is down. And you have your customers who are going, I can't do my financials. I can't do my how XYZ. Salesforce or Heroku down? It's, it's, they have a pretty good track record. <laughs> so when I started my new company, the uh, first two weeks, Heroku went down twice and it killed our sales, our, our sales because... I think CPQ uses Heroku to do, I believe, some kind of tax calculation routine. Probably. And Heroku's APIs went down twice for hours, and we were dead. We couldn't process orders. Wow. 
what's your SLA on uh, that Heroku no service? Clue. Like I said, it was when I first started. I just I was doing my thing, and then I was trying to learn things, and then all of a sudden, all the people I was working with were like gone, and it turns out they were all trying to trying to manage this issue. Yeah. Yeah. The thing the thing about the plat about platforms though is they're now just so commoditized, and honestly. Um, they were already, I mean, platforms, unless they have some kind of moat or tie-in, they're commodities anyway. But Docker really drove uh, commoditization of platforms. Because you can, I mean, anyone who's doing stuff the right way nowadays can, I don't want to say it's going to be easy, mm-hmm. but you can move You can move to, like, I'm talking, I guess, about infrastructure at this point. You can move from one provider to another. Um, it won't be fun, but yeah. very feasible if it if it becomes a, ne- uh, a necessity. Um, you know, with Salesforce, though, you know what? It's not just about the platform. It's a it's a marketplace that you're getting to tap into, which I think is yeah. You know, if I just want to, in my mind, if I wanted, if I needed to justify, well, gosh, why are we paying Salesforce fifteen percent? Well, I don't even know what the number is. Is it fifteen percent? No whatever, whatever it is of sales to Salesforce of my ISV product. I mean, you're getting access to the marketplace. Yeah, and that's always been the draw. That's always been been the reason to do it. Yeah, I wish it was fun. I wish it was easy. I wish it was I wish it was intuitive. I wish I wish you could depend on your build being successfully deployed to I mean, another to another system. You know, you got a language that's, you know, I mean, we, we could go on and on. We, we've done that. We've done that for ten years about this language. Yeah, but I'm not even talking about the language itself. No, it, I'm just, that, I'm that talking, just, I know. I just cherry picked that. It's one, just one little thing. I mean, you could deal with the language. I mean, the packaging. You can deal with the language. The packaging. The packaging. The packaging the gags, uh, that you, you know, you gags. Yeah, which happen all the time, and it's the platform failing. Yeah, and you have no access to what the hell is going on. Right. You gonna run a business on that? Really? You gonna you gonna put your price your pricing or order taking engine on that? Well, we did. I know. And how'd that work <laughs> out for you? That makes me want to rewrite it. I mean, again, I mean, these things they all have issues. I mean, I complain about Salesforce because it's the devil I know. You know, I mean, it's not. I want. I'm not. A, I'm not a one trick pony. You know that. I, I I do other. I do other stuff besides Salesforce, but. Um, But it's it's you know it is what it is. It's yeah. got, it's got its warts. They all they all do, they all do. Um, they all have different trade offs. And I mean, there's a reason why Salesforce keeps growing. It's um, and it's not like there's not no, there's not any positives. I mean, no, exactly. you, get, you get out of the box a whole security model, which is oh, yeah. which is intense yeah. on its own. I mean, and there there are good things about it. Absolutely. But that'd be I don't I don't want to have the podcast where all we do is. Oh, I'm trying to think of appropriate metaphors I can say. Um, where we fluff up <laughs> Salesforce. That's boring. They have plenty of fluffers. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, redundant for us to be fluffing them right so now. So many title candidates, man. <laughs> How many do you have, John? Uh, I've only had one beer so far, so it'll get better. How many titles have you oh, documented? Not, have, you, have you met me? Uh, yeah, yeah. When do I, I do titles? So. What's, your, what's your name? J- James? Eric. Eric. That's one of your names. I just put myself out there for identity theft you now because yeah. I exposed my middle name. Yep. It's funny. This generation doesn't care about that. 
I just spelled this wrong there. <laughs> um, All right, so FF Lib. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm specifically... Okay. First of all, so, you know, when, when FF Lib... They they had this thing called the selector layer, or is it the selector pattern? It's a, it's a pattern. Okay, but you, you know, I guess you build a layer, a selector layer with this. So I come from the repository world, um, kind of domain driven design repository mm-hmm. stuff, and I've always now I've never really um, you know I've been I've been done a ton of Salesforce platform work and and and. I'm mean, gonna do some, but like not any like just full huge builds, um, mm-hmm. like long, like big, big, big code base, long term, and in, in, in a while, I haven't had to make a lot of like engineering decisions. Yeah, but I'm in a position where I'm kind of doing a little bit of that now, and so I'm, I'm taking a hard look at okay, like you got like FF Libs selector pattern, mm-hmm. and they have an implementation of it, you know. Um, there's a lot of issues with it. And so I was kind of looking around for alternatives. I, f- I came across this thing called Sockel Lib, mm-hmm. which right off the bat, one of the things I liked about it, and, th- and this is probably such old news for so many people who are listening right now, so I'm sorry. But the developer experience, like the the um, the, surf- the surface area exposed to you as a developer and, and the what your code looks like as a as a as a user, a client of this pattern of, or this library, Sockwellib, looks so much better. And not only does it look better, but there's a lot of other, seem to be a lot of other advantages, like the mocking is way better and just all kinds of stuff. Mm. Um, really liking it a lot. So much so that I'm just wondering, like, what do I not know? Like, why is everyone not using this? Is there something better? Like, what's, you know. Um, also, I got to give a shout out to, I think his name's James Simone. You know this guy? No. Really? Not off the top of my head. Um, J- yeah, jamessimone.net. But he's got a blog. He's got a whole, I think, category of blogs, the, the joys of Apex. But one of them is, I don't know when this is from. This is from 2020, this is, which is, I guess, ancient in technology terms nowadays. But um, it just has an article called the, on a blog post, I guess, whatever, called the repository pattern. I'll, I'll put, let, me, let me put it in the show notes now. Um, he talks about FF Libsum, but, in, mm-hmm. you know, but also with the idea of kind of a repo- a improving on it. And he also talks a lot about you know, repository pattern kind of versus selector. And again, I, I, it's not clear in my head how these things overlap, selector and repository. I've always, uh, I've always uh, seen the selector as the kind of the root is, is sitting below the, the repository. Okay. So repository uses the selector? So repository consumes the selector. Interesting. Okay. And I mean, I, he, he's got a he's got a quite a long article here that really kind of goes kind of in depth on some practices and solutions around this, which I recommend reading. Yeah, I've done some selector light stuff, but that's mainly just a kind of a centralization of of query logic. Um, I haven't used it in its intended purpose, which is to kind of allow you to kind of dependency inject the the data that's returned. Um, like for, for like. Stubbing and reasons and Stubbing stuff. and okay. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, a lot of this kind of this architecture that we're talking about with FFLib and everything else is is in some ways it's abstracting all those different layers away from the actual underlying business logic, and not some ways that is its intended purpose. But um, with the Salesforce way, 
you, you, obviously you can't you can't just kind of mock it because there's so much integration involved in in, the ter- in terms of the testing because you had workflows you had flows you had everything else oh, yeah so it's trigger driven development right it's it's never it's never been at least early on I'm I'm actually changing my viewpoint nowadays but I'm still on the edge in that I've well, never you've been always a, been on the edge John I've never been a fan of fully just not interacting with the database and Salesforce to do all, any kind of unit testing because I don't feel like that's a, that's a true test of the functionality because so much of what you're doing is affected by the trigger model, the event model in Salesforce. Yeah, and and to me it means it, it, it cannot be denied. It can't be <laughs> can't be denied. And to me, you end up you end up doubling your work because not only do you do your true unit testing in isolation with mock data and all that's fine, great. But someone writes a flow that breaks your code, and you, now you don't have a regression. So what do you do? You build an integration test. And now you've got unit testing and integration testing, and you're ballooning your, your code base with all this testing. For what? To, what? to what end? Well, Besides more code to maintain. You know, my, my, you probably not, won't be surprised to hear that. My, my response to this is that why, why is someone allowed to randomly create some flow that breaks stuff? Like, flow is just code they should have to do what everyone else you know, people creating flows whether it's me or you or someone else should have to do what everyone else does which is you build it you run tests or you make tests make sure you didn't break anything and then you commit it or, or send a pull request yeah like you don't just get to willy-nilly do that shit drag and drop doesn't mean you're excluded from engineering and QA and everything else like you should be a part of the process well I think the tooling doesn't doesn't how do I say this oh no the tooling is not there the tooling is I mean, not trying. there they're so trying let's, let's say kind of let's say everyone's company, trying third company parties ABC, are trying Salesforce is trying everyone's trying let's but. say company ABC implements all these patterns and they have they have, a, they, have a, they have a whole model around dependency injection and all that kind of stuff and they and they have all these mock data data models that are get generated during testing which means it doesn't ever actually touch the Salesforce database how does flow become part of that model so that whenever you create a test for a flow well that's why you have that that's why you need true integration tests right which honestly but almost all salesforce if i could somehow get a list of all salesforce tests people have written 99 percent of them are full-on integration tests that's what we do yeah because uh, and that's otherwise we have to we have to write the test twice in other words yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a big benefit to that too, which is, I mean, for for let's let's take financial force for 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 an example. I mean, they they were struggling, and I remember when they first came out, they were struggling with with test and data and transactions and all that kind of stuff on the platform. I mean, back then we were limited on the number do. of lines that could be executed. I, mean, I, still Not, I still won't work on an org that has financial force. I just won't do it. Oh, there's there's a lot. Um, I know. I just, I would, it's a, it's just it's too much of a mess impossible um and so this model of decoupling the the testing from the from the database essentially not doing integration testing uh, became almost critical to be able to, to validate the functionality do regression tests on the functionality now that doesn't mean you have to have full control over over the process meaning someone you're probably not doing a lot of declarative or if you are your declarative people know how to write or have a process for getting someone to write a test 
an integration right. test that should for be that just flow. part of the process right you know don't don't let people go outside the process but that's that's for mature orgs or orgs yeah, that have agree, a, agree. A, a a an engineering team in general yeah. that, that can handle that right. that's fine yeah but how much how what percentage of that is the salesforce community i i don't know i don't know because I mean, most everyone that I interact with would love to, to be able to participate in that model. There's so many people who are, quote unquote, um, declarative developers or whatever. Did I say develop developers? I don't know what you said. <laughs> no, that beer's kicking in. John um, had John's had a little more than one beer. Oh. I know. So he's. I'm uh, a lightweight these days. Oh, you I've are, cut man. back on alcohol so much that I just. I mean, good for you. I can have like two ounces of whiskey and I'm done. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling good enough, and I'm, okay. I'm going to I mean, stop. that's good. <laughs> Turns out alcohol is actually poison, so. Despite what they've been telling us for years. Oh, uh, drink a day, a little glass of wine's fine. Now there's, like, new uh, studies. That's oh, going to kill you. Yeah, something's going to kill me. Eating bacon's going to kill you, so I don't care. And I drink, and I eat bacon. Oh, I love bacon. I mean, many days out of the week, I do I, both of those things. This, this conversation's <laughs> getting to me. <laughs> Uh-oh. I have I'm not been able to make you. good bacon lately. I don't know what happened. You've I've tried, lost your bacon mojo, I've tried, John. I've tried the oven method. does not come out the way I want. I've tried skillet method. does not come out the way I want. I've tried... Um, so I have this... You can think George Ford. the water method in the skillet? I've tried the water method. I hate it. It works pretty um, well. You're doing it wrong. The George, uh, I'm going to say the George Foreman method because that's probably what people are going to like. But I have a panini machine yeah. that has uh, replaceable plates. And so what I do is I put the grill griddle, grill plate on the bottom and make bacon that way. And it yeah. lets all the, the grease drain. Still not able to make the bacon that I want. I don't know what happened. I used to be able to do it easily. Are you buying different bacon? Uh, I wondered that because I have, I do have a steady supply of thick cut bacon, and I think that's my problem. <laughs> you, you have a steady supply of thick cut bacon, and that's your problem. Yes, uh, those are words that I don't I expect I can't a human to, get that to utter to, to come out the way I want it to. <laughs> I think I need to go back to the really thin strips. We it's it's weird. I feel like. We've been buying the thinner ones recently, and it's weird because I do like some thick bacon sometimes. But the thin ones are working out really well. We also have like so in our outdoor kitchen that we built. Mm-hmm. I had a I did a griddle. A oh, griddle. I tried grill too. Griddle, so, griddle. Okay, but I tried grill. So I have a flat top. It's stain. It's uh, stainless steel. It's not the like the the carbon steel ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was talking to Sarah. I was like. It's weird. I don't know what it is about this griddle, but like bacon just cooks so much e- more easily on it. And she started using the griddle too. Like she cooked, she did, she cooked brunch this morning for us. Um, hash browns, mm-hmm. bacon, yeah. eggs. It was fan freaking tastic. Because I, I gave her my jar. Like I have several jars of tallow. Because every time I cook a brisket, I save all the trimmings, the, like the fat trimmings, and Such I boil them down into. Dude, tallow is just an amazing <laughs> I product. No, anyway, I, I, I just yeah, I just render the tallow down and put it in just mason jars and keep storing the fr- fridge. Stays good forever. Um, but I sent her out there with a jar of tallow. She put a she so she used tallow for all the fat for the uh, hash browns. Oh, God, it's just yeah. oh, it's flavor bomb in your mouth. It's just yeah. like, it's just. Um, Isn't it sad that we have a whole generation that was brought up on a lie on when it comes to fats? Oh, no. and well, they had they had they had hey, to John, live through. Have you not lived through the past three years? Don't you think we the current generation is being lied to? <laughs> about? No, this current generation knows about tallow and and lard. Yeah, but they're and, also being lied to. Where's, where, uh, the, the, 
Oh, there's what? Did, all, that all the, this high fat diet is good for you? There's always interests that are going to that are want that, that have an interest in in lying to uh, promote their cause or whatever. Yeah. But um, anyway, back to the griddle and bacon. Um, something I don't know what it's about that griddle, but it's just so easy to cook bacon. It just comes out great. But yeah. I think it's similar to the bacon method because you're just cooking on a flat surface. The bacon method works great. My, so, yeah, I don't know if people know. Is, does, is this still the website, baconmethod.net or whatever? Uh, I think if you just Google the bacon method, it probably comes yeah, up. Yeah, it was Dan Benjamin that created that. But I, there's, so there's two schools of thought. So baconmethod.com for those okay. that want to know, and it's still up. So some people will put, you know, so you get like a, a sheet pan. Mm-hmm. Some people will put the the cooling rack on top of it and put the bacon on top of the rack so that no, the fat drips No, I think that's my out. problem too. No, that's the wrong do thing no, to no. do. I, here's you what gotta I do. put it on the bottom. Here's what on I do for easy cleanup too. You gotta have now. You gotta have the wide enough foil. Yeah, and the, we call it aluminum foil here. I don't know if it's is that what it is. Aluminium. Some people, some people call it tin foil. The Brits call it aluminium because they hallucinate that extra eye. No, because they're just awesome. Okay. Everything they do is sophisticated. So anyway, <laughs> if you can get if your <laughs> aluminum foil is wide enough that you can just, you can get one sheet that covers the entire pan. That's what I do. I lay a sheet of aluminum foil down in the pan, wrap mm-hmm. it and wrap curl it around the edges, and then just cook the bacon of that and all the it just and the bacon just is just frying in its own fat, right? Which which makes a good product, but then when you clean up, you just crumple up the foil and throw it in the trash, and your pan's clean. Goes right back in. I'm gonna save that bacon grease for potatoes. Well, you can. Now, if you want to save it, that's great. We 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 have we're overflowing with bacon grease. So, <laughs> no, it's so much. And that Tell and lard it. Yeah, I have like a shelf that's nothing but various fats. <laughs> How do you think I maintain this figure I have, John? Oh, you're maintaining it better than me. I yo-yo so much over in a given oh, me year. Me too. Me too. My doctor's like, because I go in every six months now, and like one, you know, one time I'm up, next time I'm down, next time I'm up, he's like, he's like, can't you, he's, he comments on that. Hell, I'm, I yo-yo <laughs> all the time. Like, yeah, I don't know. Just like, hey, I'm trying to perfect a baking method here. It's going to be up a little bit this <laughs> yeah, for, exactly. for a few month or so. I've been so. working on my cooking skills, so I'm going to be up <laughs> this week, doc. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's pop the stack. Okay. I don't even know where... Uh, we're my, talking about FF. My stack depth right now is about <laughs> one, so I've completely forgotten where we were. Um, you were talking about FF lib. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know what you guys are using or what your thoughts are if you've looked into this, but it seems like you know the 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 good old FF lib selector stuff is you know some good ideas and everything, but it doesn't seem like the optimum. There's better ideas. There's 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 uh, d- uh, you know. What's it called? Um, they, you know, people have forked that those ideas and improved mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and I've also had conversations with with uh, some engineering uh, members on my engineering team that um, we, we've talked about that kind of stuff, and it, it's it seems like the common opinion is yeah, they're great, but I like using flavors of them, not not the actual implementation because they're 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 so monolithic at this point, or they're so cumbersome at this point. Like you can't. You can't just pull out FFLib selector library and use it on its own. You have it, it's got so many dependencies in itself that you almost have to just implement the entire library just to use one part of it. So there's there's a lot of demand for kind of flavors of, of these different uh, models that are isolated in its own thing. And, and that di- kind of comes back to um, oh crap! It comes back to uh, global code. Modulization, you know, the dry. That's that's what I wanted to get to. Okay. It comes back to dry. So do, should, do we need to define? We've so we talked about that a few times. What dry means? Oh yeah, when you're wet, 
your right. you got yeah, liquid so on you when you're dry. Yeah, you're, 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 you're low moisture, right? Yeah. 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 Now, dries don't repeat yourself, and it's a, I guess, an engineering, software engineering principle. It is, and as recent, I've seen it lose favor. That's insane. Uh, it's it's not like a prescriptive. I mean, dry is it's not, not an end all be all. Like you, right? Uh, and some the, repetition is, is the idea that these engineering concepts that that people have put forward are being strictly enforced is what's losing favor. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's there, not there's nuance. There's you know there's context. Sometimes you repeat yourself because you're like, oh no, I, yes, I know these two things are very similar. And the reason I didn't abstract them into something some common thing is because I know they're going to diverge. Right. Or, or I've only have two or three, and that's not that's not a big enough of a sample size for me to be confident that these can all share the same thing. That it truly, you know, let's say, satisfies the Liskov substitution principle, where they truly, you know, they they can all have the same shape or whatever. Like, and if you're not if you're not there yet, then don't worry about it. No, it's, yeah, it's not some, a goal to be one hundred percent dry. Yeah, in some ways, it falls afoul of the. Uh, premature optimization fallacy. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, where you're 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 so focused on dry that you're pre-optimizing. Yep. Which is probably worse than yeah than not being and dry. And I think that's the caution that's that's being put out there yeah. right now in terms of yeah. how it's. In, in my statement, when I said losing favor, in that the, the the prescriptive format of it, the don't ever repeat yourself. You know, always you know always abstract that out and put that in somewhere else. And it's like, well, no, well, sometimes. Sometimes code is going to look the same in, in, in two different places, maybe for different reasons than than just the fact that it exists. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe they're actually a little bit different, right? <laughs> and that's okay. Or maybe their intended usage is different. You yeah. know, you're, you're trying to segment your code base in a way that's modular, and you you want to you don't want to you don't want to increase coupling. Um, yeah. So when you have a modular system, um, coupling becomes a really bad thing. Yeah. Well, so, so if you have two things that look kind of the same, and you decide to abstract some stuff, now they're both coupled to this. Right. Parent, the substream of abstraction. Right. Which maybe they're abstraction, but maybe not. That's why I said earlier about sample size. Like maybe you don't have a big enough sample size to know whether that's a, a good abstraction or not. It's yeah. okay if it's not. You can wait. Yeah. You can refactor it because you know refactoring is so easy on this platform. <laughs> but back back to I'll yeah. use your words you said a minute ago. Losing faith in some of these things we grew up with. Do we want to talk about losing faith in code reviews? Sure. Because I told you, I, I know that's, you know, that's what the cool kids are talking about nowadays. And I have only just surface level been seeing that this conversation is happening. I haven't really read a lot about what people are saying about it. Mm-hmm. So I can't really speak that intelligently on what the uh, current zeitgeist is, but I'm, I'm seeing it happen. Well, I think I think in general, I think it's a, a symptom to an underlying problem. Uh, at least, at least in my environment, the code review, the daily code reviews that, that happened. Um, now, these are daily, like scheduled code reviews. This is insane. I've never even heard of this. That well, sounds like that sounds like a terrible practice. It stems we're from gonna, we're going to review your code every day. No, that's, <laughs> that's weird. That's not how they're supposed to work. So, so essentially, you would you would you create a pull request. The team would code review it, and then it would then be propagated to other environments. Okay. And so, it's important to note that. The Git model that we're using is, is a Git flow model, yep. so to speak, yep. um, which is also losing favor. It is. My, well, everyone's um, gone back to just trunk, trunk development. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. actually, I really want to go back to trunk. I do too. Um, I, I've moved a lot of my stuff back to trunk development. trunk has its cons as well, and we can get into yeah, that in sure. a little bit. But okay. in terms of code review, 
at least at least from what I understand, at least in my current environment, is that the inception is that we have multitude of teams, some of it out of control because they're outsourced uh, vendors who are helping to contribute to the code base. Ooh, that's always difficult. And because we don't have control over what as they're an, putting as into an, the, As an outsourced vendor, I can say that's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> because we don't have control over what they're building and how they're building it, the the pull request... But shouldn't you have control? Like, shouldn't they have to play in your sandbox, you know, and follow uh, by your rules? Like I said, that's, it's a symptom to the underlying problem in that we don't have a strict... Uh, we don't have a strict... What would you call it? Um, policy? Style guide, okay. policy oh, okay. around yeah, yeah. how code should look, how it should be implemented, yeah. how things should be named, well, all those kind of things. Can you all work on that? We can. Okay. Uh, the, I think the problem is that, that prior to me joining and prior to the, this current company investing in internal development resources, they relied heavily on external vendors yeah. and multi- multiple vendors. Yeah. Ugh, and so mess. now they're seeing a lot of technical debt because yeah, of that. Yep. And so we're trying at this point to not only satisfy current feature requirements with the business, but also resolve some of this technical debt. Yeah. Just keep And keep so the code running. review was born out of this environment where we have all these different streams of code coming into the system and we need to validate it somehow. Yeah. And so that's why we're, that's why we're at where we're at with it. Okay. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what else you want me to say about no, it no, other than I mean, what I've said earlier when it came to our AI discussion, which is that at that point, at this point, what we're really looking for is, is it readable? Did you name your variables correctly? Uh, does it look like it satisfies the requirements? Um, but because we're sitting here on a 30-minute call reviewing maybe 10 or 12, or maybe not, that's, that's extreme because it's daily. Maybe four or five, six pull requests per session. Uh, just becomes a yeah. I looked at it. Seems like it's good. I don't have any feedback. Merge. <laughs> oh, weird. <gasps> I got blocked by this guy. Wow! I just realized I got blocked by someone. I don't know. Never even seen this before. Um, I've never been blocked. Wow! I didn't say anything bad to this guy. I'm blocked. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I just did a Twitter search because I was looking for like some of this code review stuff mm-hmm. that people have been talking about. And this guy, Gurgly Oros, I forget what he does. Um, he's got a pretty big Twitter following. Um, I feel like he's kind of a... He does... A, he's almost like a... Um, oh, what do you call it? A uh, uh, recruiter guy, cat type of guy. Like, is involved with... But he's... I think a software engineer, but also kind of writes some really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he blocked me. I mean, I don't think I ever said anything mean to him. Um, some people just cannot handle, though, you disagreeing with their opinion. Oh, is that what you On a happened? public forum. Uh, probably so. I mean, I'm, yeah. I, I don't even know, I guess. Um, I think it's always been a problem with, with a blocking feature. This guy has 27,000 followers, and he blocked me. Yeah, because you know I'm so I'm such a terrible person on Twitter. <laughs> I think that's, that's that's a problem in general with social media and the idea of blocking. Is that well, um, what's weird? Is I can just go I can go into a, a private browser and I can see everything. Yeah, it's the isolate. It's 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 the same thing as as blocking all ads in your services. <laughs> I also feel like as a verified Twitter user now, I should not. I should be able to bust through blocks. That'd be a cool feature. Although I've literally, I think this is the first time I've ever seen someone block me. Ever. Ever. 
I've been on Twitter for 15 years or however yeah. long. I don't know. Does Twitter have a user number? Like, do I know what? Uh, like I said, I, don't, I joined in 2007. Hmm. Well, congratulations on your first block. I've had 1,000 followers for about 12 years now. <laughs> I'm not on it enough to I know just what stopped, I've got going I just stopped, on. It stopped going up forever ago. I don't really do much on Twitter. I do actually. I, I consume quite a bit. I, you can get on threads. Threads. Well, I don't do Instagram, so probably not. And also, I haven't looked into this much, but am I the only one that thinks the logo looks like a? P- <laughs> How much to block that? It's gross, John. <laughs> I'm, gonna to, I'm gonna have to mark that. It does. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, seven forty. Let's see. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, let me look at their logo. Oh, what? What is it? What is the logo? Is that the worst thing I've ever seen? Hang on. That does look terrible. Wow. Oh, wow. You're right. You oh, are. so you threatened to block me, and then you no, go, you're no, right. No, I'm still going to block that. I'm still going to bleep that, but that is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Can't don't see it now, can you? <laughs> the demise of Threads is going to be their logo. You know, I thought I was a heavy Twitter consumer, but I never hit these limits. You know, the new like what is it? Six? You can six hundred tweets a day, which I think this I think only was in effect for like a day. Mm-hmm. Never hit that. Although I talked to a friend of mine who he did hit that, I was like, "Interesting, it's a lot of Twitter." But some people are like, oh, "I can read six hundred tweets in a, you know in five minutes." I'm like, "Really? Wow! I thought I was a I'm not even close to that." I got I think I read tweets more diligently than people do. I guess yeah. I'm more of a reader than a scroller. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, I think the younger generation is far more um, free with their responses. Mm. And the need to publish everything about their lives, share everything about their lives, the good parts, or at least what they they imagine to be the good parts. Yeah. Like, for a while there, I was like, oh, this food looks good. I'm going to take a picture of it and send it to my my friends. And I'm like, I just want to sit and eat. Yeah, yeah. I do take photos of the food I quite a bit I will if I want to brag like I made something that looks really good and I want to I don't, I don't, I'll send it to you directly yeah, I won't, I won't be I like yeah, I'm going to put it on social media that oh look at look yeah. at my great life and my great food I, I did I, I mean I think I did that when I was a younger person but now I, if I, I ever get anymore. abs I'm going to put that on all social well, media I would too but I'm never going to have abs so <laughs> so don't hold your breath um, alright John let's see let me look at my topics here so we have um, this CLI version 2 of the so I don't even know this. So there's an SF CLI, which is distinct from the SFDX CLI. Yes, I've never used the SF CLI. What is the SF CLI? It started as the CLI that helped you do functions. Really? Yeah. Okay. So if you were working with functions, you would use the SF CLI, and that would help you do certain operations there. But now they're merging it to where the SF library CLI is the de facto library and they'll just have naming aliases for SFDX. Yeah, it's, just, it's subsuming yeah. the SFDX CLI. Yeah. That's just for backwards compatibility. I think they learned a lot of lessons with the original SFDX CLI and sure. as they started building out the SF library with with certain knowledge, they realized that 
that's probably the better model to use, at least from an internal perspective, like the engineering perspective, and decided to just cut their losses with SFDX and start moving to SF. Oh, and I wouldn't say, cut the, I wouldn't say cut the losses. That's not, I don't think that's the right thing to say. It's it is cutting losses. No, it's building on gains. Okay. And consolidating gains. Okay. I can, I can, I can, I can, okay. I'm okay with that. It's a much better way to frame it. Yeah. <laughs> to evolve, to refactor, to, to move forward. Um, but, you know, I, was, I have to say, when I look at, like, Salesforce's various attempts to, to as far as, like, public fa- user-facing engineering that we have to deal with, mm-hmm. whether it's CICD or um, functions or the, the languages that we're exposed to, all this kind of stuff, like, most of those things get like a C minus for me. The CLI gets a way better grade from me. You get it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's been a really good effort, a good initiative. And they have been really good at learning, I think, and incorporating those learns in and evolving the product in a way that doesn't not leaving people behind you know it's yeah. kind of a smart it's it's pragmatic they haven't gotten I think ahead of their skis really ever um, just kind of slowly chugging away making it better and again kind of consolidating those gains and so I, now is it a good idea to to combine the SF and SFDX I mean at some point like you know I guess my concern is at a very high relatively uninformed level would be eh, are we are we making a god CLI here that does too many things? Is it? But maybe not. I mean, well, I think that was the intent of SFDX, which was you had the force namespace, so that's why you had to prefix everything with force. So you had SFDX force project whatever, you know that that nomenclature. Yeah, yeah. That, that initial force was meant to be kind of a namespace because they they built it on the was it, it was Heroku CLI framework. So I think Force separated it from Heroku functions, even though they, I don't think the Heroku stuff was was built into the SFDX, you know, binary or whatever. Yeah. I, I, my understanding of the intent was that it would namespace it so that they could expand on it in a modular fashion so that you yes. could have, you know, Force-specific stuff, Salesforce-specific stuff, and maybe other libraries that would have their own kind of namespacing. yep. yep. And I think, yeah, and like plugins would have their own namespace, right? Right. And I, I, th- I think that but, didn't work out. Okay. And we, we'd like to say we learned some things from that. I, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a better way of putting it. They learned some things from that. Yeah. And so I think when you get to SF, um, in terms of the brevity of the commands, in some cases it's a, it's, it's a lot better. In some cases it's kind of weird, like SF project, deploy, start. You know, that's kind of, why do I have to say start? But I guess mm. there's a reason for it in some way, but... It's, it's it's still better. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would still pre- I would prefer to have one CLI to interact with, with a concise naming con- naming schema where I don't have to worry about namespacing. Um, but that's just my personal preference because yeah. I do tend to do a lot of operations using CLI. Like I've I've turned off auto save or auto deploy on save in IntelliJ. Oh, I did that um, ago. So yeah. I use the CLI a lot. I'm sitting in the terminal saying deploy my oh, class. I just do like the the mash the three 
I left can't fingers, ever, and then a 12. I can't That's, ever 12. remember it. It's 12 or 10. I can't I, ever remember it, and I oh, feel yeah. like a real coder when I can type out a command. A command yeah. That's like shift, command, option, F12, I think. Scott can correct me on this. I'll have to get some muscle, muscle memory on that, because I've, I've just, like, I've gotten myself in trouble with, with having the autosave feature on when I'm doing refactoring, oh, or yeah. um, because of the way I have to, because we're using GitFlow process, and because of the way I have to create don't knock me for this. I'm a. I'm not the greatest at Git. I know enough to get by, and with Git uh-huh. flow, and, and so I don't like cherry there, picking. John. I hate cherry picking. So what I end up oh, doing? Cherry picking is a great tool. I can't stand it. I was. Yes, be used with caution. Marker. Has to be used with caution. I was. I always f it up. Um, and so, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, <laughs> so I don't have to cherry pick. I'll just create a new branch. And then just pull my changes into that branch, and then pull request that branch, because I don't want to cherry pick. Yeah, I, I cherry pick a lot. Like in when I like my work I do on Apache Camel, um, when we backport stuff, like a lot of stuffs. Like it, we do, we we do trunk development. Mm-hmm. But if there's something that you want to backport to, like because we have a lot of previous branches, we have like a, a we have a three dot, like we have several LTS. Um, several LTS branches that mm-hmm. we support for a certain number of months or years or whatever. So a lot of times if you've done some, like, let's say a bug fix or a security fix, you, you do it on trunk, so like the, whatever the next version is, the latest version is going to get that, but you also want to backport that. So a lot of... Right. Sometimes we'll cherry pick is the best way to get stuff back to the other branches. Yeah. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a power tool you got to use with caution, but boy, it's sometimes it's, it is the right tool for the job. No, I get it. It's just it's such a it's it's something that's so in, integral to my daily workflow that I just I can't seem to get the hang of it without effing it up and so you you are breaking out of the normal process when you cherry pick. It's yeah. it's an it should be it should be used in exceptional cases kind of in a way. It should be, but because of the way our, our – because we have, you know, with GitFlow, you have long-living branches, and yep. because they get out of sync. And not only that, not only are they out of sync, but you have environment, Salesforce environments that are out of sync because uh, oh, you're pushing your nightmare. code directly to the environment, not to the, not, not to the branch, yeah. which then deploys it. Right. Um, you're pushing directly. So you're modifying that existing environment. Yeah. So now your Git, your branch, or your repo is out of sync with your – By the way, I, your I'm, code base. I'm definitely in the camp of they're, – they're, we – we are not at uh, your code is the source of truth. Yeah, not until not until our ability to create these environments oh, are fixed. The the metadata system still and yeah. all. I know, I know, I know, and I get it. It's all the teams that build features. They and products. They have to implement their metadata right. It is not even close. We're not there. Yeah, except for ISVs. ISVs have the best shot at true source development. How so? Um, because their scope is so small. Whereas, like in a in a typical like big enterprise org, you've got like tons of features enabled, like all kinds of you know. Salesforce has like five hundred different features now that you yeah. can turn on, and the metadata implementation on lots of them is just not it's not acceptable. It doesn't work. It basically, doesn't work. Yeah. And I, if I'll, you if you're in an org. A big enterprise org with lots of features. Just try this. 
check you get out pull down all your metadata all of it you mm-hmm. have to, you, by the way there's a reason salesforce doesn't support you getting all your metadata because they know it's a disaster you have to use a third-party tool or if you like use something like um in Illuminate cloud to build you your full package or one of these sfdx plugins that can do it get all your metadata spin up a scratch org and deploy it to scratch org see how that works out for you yeah you'll never ever ever get it to work yeah yeah. Ever. Did I say ever yet? Ever. One more time. Ever. <laughs> Never. I need it. Okay. Resume. I'm glad I left it to you because I probably would have uh, gotten a stout or something. Yeah. Some like 10%er. To drive you home. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was SFCLI2. So you can, um, they have a, at least last time I read, you can go ahead and install. It's like a, I'm like in the beta stage right now. But if you install the SF CLI version two, I think you have to either remove SFDX CLI or or it removes it. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. They cannot coexist on your system. Oh really? Now you can go back. So if you install SF version two and you're not liking it, apparently you can go back. I haven't tried it, but they have instructions on how to. If you just want to like get you know go back to. Separate. That's fine. I'm fine with moving. I've already started using the new. You're fine moving? Oh. I'm, I'm, I've already started using the new syntax. So syntax. What syntax? Oh, the um, spacing the and commands. Colons. Yeah. 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 I do like that better. It took me a bit to unlearn the muscle memory I learned with colons, but right. I like spaces. So I much always hated the colons. Like, what are, what are we? Too, what are you making me? Two weird finger yeah, movements. Exactly. Like, quit making me dance on the shift key all day. Yeah. Oh, did I tell you? Well, Small tangent. Okay. I've stopped using uh, uh, keyboard rest pads and the mouse rest pad. Wrist pad. So you're, you're floating now? What I'm floating. Doing? Okay. I, I, I always knew that floating was the best way to do it. However, what I found with the rest is that um, I'm always putting my hands resting, even when I'm reading. But you end up too much like this, right? Or yeah. Is it, okay. I'm not coding or I'm not typing all day. Yeah. But my hands are in that position, ready right. for me to type. Yeah. And I found that that's been killing my ergonomics and my speed typing. Because what's happening is I'm still resting and typing. And it was it was adding to a lot of my typos, I found yeah. out. Mm. I'm still just on that old-ass Apple keyboard I have. I don't even know what they call that. Oh, I've got a mechanical. I mean, and, it's, it's a mini mechanical, and like the original, mechanical. The, I think it's something like the original trackpad. And I know those are not ergonomic, and as I get... I mean, I'm, shit, I'm not that many years away from 50 at this point, John. Oh Holy God. shit. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people it, at much younger ages have to go to, like, split keyboards and all this kind of stuff, and I'm sure those are better. I just... I do have some problems that kind of come and go, but none mm-hmm. of them have been bad enough where I'm like, oh, I got to, I got to re-engineer my whole keyboard and mouse thing. I'm not there yet, but it's, it's just been something I've been working on, and especially my mouse because I used to think I had to have the wrist pad for my mouse, yeah. but my mouse is extremely ergonomic. It's that LG oh, MX. I'm right. sorry, uh, Logitech MX. Okay, yeah. And if you just rest your palm the way it's designed, you're golden. Yeah. You don't need that rest. In fact, I find myself twisting my wrist up. Just to rest it on it, yeah, yeah, instead right. of floating like I should be. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know I, if it helps anybody out there. Try and you're using those rests. Try going without them for a bit and see how you do. I have a really, really exciting topic to talk about. Um, OAuth flows. Oh god, I hate OAuth. Salesforce split their freaking you know, credential system into this like weird thing that I don't understand. And I saw someone on on our Slack channel. Uh, talking about that as well because it threw me for a loop. It's been a while since I configured um, 
external connections in um, named credentials. Is okay. what they're called. Yeah, yeah. And they split those up, and now I don't know which one to use or how to configure it properly. The auth world has gotten very complex. And, and what, what's further scaring me and giving anxiety is we're doing we're setting up a new staging environment that cooks up to Okta. And I'm supposed to, I have the tickets assigned to me to, to fix that. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also Salesforce has, by default now, is blocking the user agent and user password flows because they're considered insecure and are not recommended. Um, wow. What is, so I've definitely used the username and password flow a lot and, and stuff. It's like server, uh, server-based stuff, and I have done so before. People like start complaining. Um, I've done the JWT flows, and I actually have started using. And this is this is why I want to talk about this. The I think it's called a client credentials flow, mm-hmm. and it's it, it's for when you have because I do a lot of these integrations, right? Which are processes that run outside of Salesforce that are connecting into Salesforce, and right. they're not in the context of a user, right? But you still have to log in as a user. Because right. it's Salesforce, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I've done a lot of the username and password flow. Because um, there's no interactive user. So I need to just... This external service just has... It has its it has its client credentials, but also has a username and password because that's how you have to... Well, Salesforce, you know, a while back, a year or so ago, added... What they call the client credentials flow, and I guess that's one. Of, I guess that's the official OAuth flow, but Salesforce adopted it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's if you have something like you know, like let's say you have some external. Uh, in my you know my case, it's using an integration service, but any, anything where like it's just a machine connecting into your Salesforce, not user, not in, impersonating some user. It's just yeah. a machine. And so it's the application, like the I mean, when you go and create a connected app in the OAuth settings or whatever in Salesforce, it's really just for this app, and it's. Again, I know everything. Everything goes through a, and for good reason, goes through a, a user account, so that you mm-hmm. have defined permissions in the profile and permission sets and all that kind of stuff. Right. But you know, I guess Salesforce acknowledged it. Oh yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we have these, all these use cases for these external services that that are not really using a user. So what we'll do is, we'll have this client client credentials flow. Where this external service, all it has to provide is its client ID and client secret. Does not have to provide a user. And the way that works is when you, you but you have to go into when you create, create the connected app, you have to go in like I think it's in the policies. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to use client credentials, well, you have to enable that and specify which user should be impersonated when that application connects. So some so someone at Salesforce thought that was increased security going from having to provide client ID, client secret, and a username and password to only having to provide a, a client ID and client secret. And, and I can still man that because it puts the control in the admin's hand to say which client they want it. They can change. They can specify which, which user they want this app to be, in, to be operating under mm-hmm. when, it can, when, it, when, it's, when it's connecting to Salesforce. So I get that, and I, that makes sense. But I can also still man the other guy, which is like, wait a minute. Before, it had to provide the client ID, client secret, and a username and password. And now you're taking out the username and password. All it has to have is the client ID and secret? Like, that's less security. That's less security. That's less things that has to get right in order to connect. But anyway. But it's interesting, though, that they're now taking away the username and password flow, which 
required four things. Client ID, client secret, username, and password. They're taking away, they had away because it was too insecure. What they replace it with? Something that only requires two of those four things. So I'm not buying that they've increased security here. And maybe I'm, I'm not understanding something. That does seem like it would be insecure. However, from a practical perspective, doesn't everyone store those values in the same place anyways? That's yeah, you're exactly right. It's gonna be on some configuration file on, on some hard drive on some yeah. server. It's not like we split those two or, things. Or out. in some fancy like a credit card, you know, you, know, you have, to have one on one server and one half of it on one server, half of it on another server. There's nothing dictating that that for I mean Operationally, you could dictate that, but there's nothing dictating that those have to be separate. So, yeah. what would we do as a developer? Path of least resistance, yeah. which is store all those four values. Because the reality is, wherever you're storing these credentials, if it gets compromised, it doesn't matter whether it's the client ID, client secret, username, and password, or just client ID and client secret. Um, doesn't matter. Whether I mean, it's two yeah, or four things, it's, the, the, it's, it's compromised. Your best bet at securing that would be to encrypt those values at rest. In which case, the t- the two values. If, is, if you expose two values, you can expose yeah. four values, right? I'm I'm even bogus on encrypting at rest. It's like, nothing. I, is I can secure. tell you. What, I can tell nothing you. Why. No, nothing is secure. It's, but it's a, it's a deterrent. Um, kind of, kind of. My perspective on security is deterrency. Obviously, nothing is 100 percent secure. That kind of sounds can, like security through obscurity, though. Deterrent sounds I like guess, obscure. I guess. Oh, it's, you know, and it, don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of people's asses have been saved by uh, uh, obscuring. So, <laughs> mine probably has. But no, that the idea. So, I'm okay. Oh, I don't know if I should say this in public. I'm kind of okay with secrets on file systems because you know why? When it all boils down, all of the secrets are stored on file systems. This is all. Look at Linux or Windows or any operating any modern operating system. Mm-hmm. You do it. You have a SQL Server installation somewhere on that disk of a Windows server system is stored the master SQL Server uh, uh, encryption keys. It's in the registry That's, database, which is on the disk, <laughs> which is on the disk. Yeah, it's on the disk. And and what what you what you really realize when you think about this long enough is that. We absolutely rely on operating systems providing strong file system security. Yeah. Now, there's some, there are fancy and probably good security uh, software that somehow keeps all these things in memory, but that's also a problem because memory can be addressed and hacked and everything. And also, like, what happens when you have to reboot? (laughs) So... So, and, and there's things where you have like clusters of things, clusters of key management systems that that keep these things that, that never they never hits disk. Mm-hmm. But if one of them goes down, you've got another one. You've got a backup or whatever. But that, and I don't know enough about those to know. But that kind of that sounds scary to me. That it's, it's somewhere there's not that 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 secret or key is not on some disk somewhere because I'm afraid you're going to lose it. And when you lose it, oh. Now you're really fired. You're totally fired <laughs> because you can't get into any of your systems. Yeah, and you're done. You're toast. I mean, that, that's there's a, there's a lot of hand waving in the security industry. So much hand waving. I think I think it's just security in general. That's what we're talking I mean, about. Go go watch a James Bond movie and see how people bypass oh, security. Well, all the those time. are that's Hollywood, bro. 
I mean, it is, but I mean, you have locks that claim to be un- unpickable, and but they're pickable. You know, there's they're just they're just. Uh, we're we we're, we're rewatching. I'm rewatching the J- uh, Jason Bourne movies with my kids. Yeah. Every lock's pickable. Yeah. We're also watching the <laughs> Mission Impossible stuff. We're going backwards in time. Mm-hmm. That series is pretty good. It is good. Yeah, and my kids like it. I mean, I got to give props to Tom Cruise for his ability to, at this age to continue to do a lot of his own stunts. Who'd you say? Tom Cruise. Oh, they said John Cruise. I'm like, how many, how many beers have you had, John? <laughs> Enough to call Tom You've Cruise John Cruise? No, I don't know. Maybe, I just I, I heard John, but maybe you said Tom. Anyway. Okay, well, that was my boring topic. Um, DHH had a cool thing about designing for the web without Figma. So Figma's great. Figma's like the thing right now. It, oh, it has um, been for years. There was a recent years. conference about Figma even becoming even better. And well, there's a reason Adobe just paid Adobe, like thirty billion dollars for Adobe it. Right? Just bought it because it's 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 huge. Like it, it won. Figma won. Yeah, they won. It beat out Sketch and yeah. uh, what were the other ones? Um, I forget. But uh, it won. Invisio. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Vision or I don't know. oh yeah, Envision. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, anyway. Yeah. Not, I thought, you know, I always, I mean, DHH is, he, speaking of hand waving, he's very, um, he's very, uh, he's a lightning rod, right? Uh, he's a what? Lightning he's a lightning rod. Oh. But I, I've always, whether I agree with it or not, I always enjoy reading his stuff and also, what's the guy, what's his partner's name? Jason Fried, Friedman or Freed? I don't know what his name, that's last name, Jason, but their books, I've, I think I've read all their books. They've, they're good, they're good books. Mm. Uh, but anyway, so when he, when he posts something, I, I usually read it. But he says, uh, we, we don't do the bulk of our design work with or in Figma. And I don't know if that, he means anymore. Or maybe they did, but maybe they never did. But he said when we developed for Basecamp and Hey, you know, Hey is their email service. Or, mm-hmm. have you, did you ever look at that? Hey? I never looked at okay, it. I didn't no. either. Probably should. It's probably good. Maybe. He said all of their design work is done directly in HTML and CSS as it should be. You know, I've uh, I subscribed to that. I um, do. Mainly because the... Well, they're the, so easy nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, if I want to design a component, feedback, I get, might as well just write the HTML and and yeah. display it. He says, no matter how good Figma is, it's in an intermediary abstraction. It is like Photoshop was before it. And in some aspects, you're not entirely sure if you can build what you drew. That's the problem. He or, said, if you're working with a web, you'll work faster without such an abstraction layer in the design process, filtering the collaboration between the programmer and the designer. Now, I will say this though. From my perspective, I don't want to sound conce- conceited, but... You're, you're really good at what you do is what you're no, trying no, to say? No, 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 <laughs> As a hobby, I enjoy design because I enjoy the way things look. Yeah. It's, it's like one of those things. I, I like the aesthetic of, of visual interfaces. Yeah. So I, as a hobby, I train on that or at least, at least learn as yeah. much as I can about that kind of stuff. And I'm way behind any kind of designer. But I've noticed that most developers don't care about that. By the way, I have to pause for a second. If people, if for anyone who doesn't know this, John is an amazing, an amazing UI designer. No, you really are very talented. <laughs> it's like your number one skill. Wow. Yeah. Not developing, but designing. No, I think no, I, I've always said this to you. Like I think that's that's you're really talented at that. Like God given talent. Anyway, continue. Okay. Well, that aside, because I'm turning red here. Um, <laughs> I've noticed that a lot of developers don't care about that. They they put the field on the screen. They don't care where it's at. They just they just care that it's on there. That's okay. the requirement. Mm-hmm. 
this field needs to be on the screen, needs to be here. They don't care about the aesthetics. They don't care about the usability of it. Um, if, they, if they need a screen that needs to have certain inputs, they'll toss the inputs on the screen. They might have a yes, no, whatever. They might take some cues from the business that says, we want it to look like this. But they don't ever expand on it. They don't ever kind of think it through as part of the solution. Um, so uh, having designers writing the HTML, or I'm sorry, programmers, developers who don't care about the aesthetic, doing that type of design is iffy to me. I don't, I don't know how to say mm. that. Mm. Yes, yes, if you're, if you're inclined, and yes, if you you're understand. having programmers do that design? Yes. But he's not, I don't think he's arguing that. Okay. He's, he's, he's advocating for designers to understand. If, if anything, he's arguing the opposite. That well, he's, what he's arguing is that, develop, that designers, which mo- a lot of designers do, I will say this, designers are, are pretty awesome. They understand HTML, they understand CSS to a point where they could be web developers well, and he because says, they need that skill. I don't know if I highlighted that quote, but he, he says a lot of, like, their designers, definitely their HTML, CSS, and, and increasingly, like, they they can function in JavaScript and Ruby. Yeah. But they do a lot. I think they do still do a lot of Ruby on their back end. I mean, yeah. obviously he has to. He's DHH, right? Right. Um, anyway, he says uh, design happens in the abstraction layer. Oh, this is talking about I guess the old school way, right? Design happens in the abstraction layer, and then designs are handed to programmers to make them real. Right. Is that occasionally justified with the same argument I heard back in the late 90s for throwing Photoshop files over the wall for programmers to implement? He says, you can, and it's like, you can be more creative if you're not constrained by what it takes to make it happen. But what's the point? I mean, the constraints, you know, that's what they say, constraints are what makes things interesting in life. Yes. Right? And if, and if your designer's working in Photoshop, they have no constraints. Right. They come up with, you know, the, the new sphere in Vegas as your UI. And it's like, well, ah, we really can't implement that on an iOS, iOS device or mobile phone or whatever. God, I'm not slurring now. I can't say iOS. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a little just too out there for the web at this point. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, tools like, so, so tools like Figma and um, Envision and things like that, well, those their, are, those their wheelhouse was, was interactive designs well so what i was hoping we would get to is you and i defending figma a little bit well and that's kind of where i'm going to so the inception of those tools was that we have a design that we want to discuss with whoever asked for this the business we'll just say the business yeah and we need a way to say here's our design here's how it's how it could work so these tools came up with a way to let you design it and put these 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 screens and kind of make them faux functional yeah. You can type in a text field. You can click the, the next button, and you can it'll, it'll take you to the next screen. So it became more of a kind of a way to kind of demo your designs. Yeah. And, then, and then these tools advanced because, obviously, there's competition in the market, and they're like, okay, you've got this design. You've got this interaction defined in this demo. What if I gave you a way to generate the code from that? Now you can just take your design, generate the code, and your coders don't have to do anything. They just have to stick this on the site. And so that's where these kind of tools evolved into. But now you've kind of blurred the lines of design and functionality and coding. And and if you're going to go to that length of it, why not just hand code it? Which is where we're at today, I think. Yeah. So my thought, and I'm not like a daily Figma user by any stretch, but... I think Figma built on some of the things that were. What was like? So I feel like on the Mac, like Sketch was a Sketch Sketch. What well, was Sketch it is a, just a vector tool that found a niche with with kind of mock but UI it designs. Really, it, but it was born in the web age, unlike Photoshop and some of these other things. 
And so it was really desi- it was designed with our artifacts out of this need mm-hmm. to be web compatible. Yes. Right. Yep. And you could and, and if you knew what you were doing with Sketch, you could make sure that what you were designing was would export a artifacts that your developers would appreciate. Yes. Okay. And I, uh, my thought on Figma is the same thing. Like it's it's also very much like a web friendly thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, it's got abstractions and like it's kind of a little freeform, but right. it absolutely is. You know, you can you can do a really good job of art, exporting artifacts that are that are one hundred percent web native artifacts. Yeah, I would I would add to that to say that that Sketch paved the way for Figma in that Sketch as a vector tool found a niche with designers in implementing what I would call symbols, which are these yeah, kind of yeah. these design concepts yep. that kind of wrapped or grouped to these functions mm-hmm. and with a concept of web enablement. And I think Figma took that. Um, so Sketch became kind of almost like this tool for building your design system because of those, those features. Yeah. And then Figma took that feature one step further and said, you're building your design system in Figma. Sketch was you're building your web, your design that's web um, conscious or web uh, aware. Uh, web adjacent. Web aware. <laughs> Whereas Figma said your design system is is web aware. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, back to DHH, he's, he's a lightning rod. He's always, you know, he's He's always trying. His thing is he likes to make a bold assertion, and then le- and then enjoy the controversy and and the and the views and the clicks and the likes that come out of it. Right? It's a um, good model. So he's you know his so his thing is I'm going to destroy Figma in this in article. <laughs> when in reality you can absolutely Figma can be a great tool. I mean, for, I think the big thing that Figma went out uh, it's it's is collaboration. It's it's calibration workflow, but it absolutely can work completely fine in a web native environment. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not a I'm not a Figma expert. I'm, I've just dabbled in it, and I don't. Yeah, I think that's where Sketch failed. Was it didn't have a lot of collaboration. It, right, Figma. It was very much a designer tool. It was a very much a sitting on your desktop tool. I remember when I first heard about Figma and how it worked. I didn't. I'm like, I didn't believe it. I'm like, but it really does. It's yeah. like. You can do completely web native stuff, and it's very workflow. And okay, what's going on? I'm getting a face from John. My, I got a notification that I'm using a ton of memory. I, it's because I have this SF Gate site open. I'm close oh, that. Man, watch out for those San Francisco these websites. websites. These That's websites. San Francisco, John. I've had that happen on several <laughs> websites that were just sitting open on my screen. But now and we, I get a memory alloc- well, allocation. Inquiring issue. minds want to know what are you reading on SF Gate? It was. Uh, you want to know? Yes. Inquiring minds want to know. Because I was queuing up my next topic, uh, effing. Because I'm, I'm censoring this. Effing okay, bullshit. This is actually part of the title. This is this is it's a great. Francisco. This is a great clickbait. Everything goes. John. This is great clickbait. <laughs> effing bull s. Yeah. A shocked San Francisco reacts to the end of Anchor Brewing. Oh, I'm upset about that. Yeah. As a regular purchaser in Texas of Anchor beers, especially love Liberty Ale. It's, I mean. Been drinking that beer for 25 years, yeah. and I've visited the brewery many times. I'm yeah. very upset about this. Yeah, it's sad. It's an American institution. They, yeah. it's, I mean, it's they have claim to, um, an a, a, an original American beer style. Well, a couple really. Obviously, the steam beer, 
which they, uh, I guess one thing I'm not super a fan of is they, they copyrighted or patented or not copyrighted, patented, I guess uh, trademarked Steam mm-hmm. Bear. So other companies that, other breweries that make a Steam Bear, they can't call it Steam Bear. It's, it's a California Common. <laughs> okay. Um, I was never a huge fan of the Steam Bear. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's like a... It's like it's kind of like a lager type of beer, but it's steamy. It was, it was a, no, it was made in a time <laughs> when they didn't have lager yeast, and they couldn't. They didn't have the lager temperatures. They couldn't achieve those with in reasonable commercial means. So fermented at ale temperatures, but still tried to make in the style of a, you know try to approach a lager type of beer. Mm-hmm. But I really always like the Liberty Ale better. It's it's like a, I mean, it's a OG like I think it's 100 percent Cascade. Um, I, I guess it's considered an IPA, Liberty Ale. Um, I mean, again, OG like probably maybe before Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. Because I know Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada. He they he he worked. I mean, they did some collaboration. I don't mean like they were making beers together, like common. Like the modern beer collab, I don't mean that, but like in, in terms of like getting growers to grow Cascade and getting it to grow right and all that kind of stuff, they worked with Anchor. Like they were mm-hmm. trying to achieve common things. Um, so yeah, it's just really a bummer that they're. Cl- I mean, they were bought by Sapporo like ten years ago or something like that. Yeah. So it's it's you know ceased to be American owned a long time ago, but yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, yeah, people are pissed off. So what is what are people saying? Exactly that. That they're just extremely disappointed and pissed off. Well, you know and what? It was unceremonious. It was just like it was shut down. There was no notice. There was nothing. It was just just done. That's the way these things work, man. Yeah. Um. There's there's no there's no fun way to to shut down a business. Isn't there? No, there's really not. I think there is. I mean, like throw giant parties. Sure. Hey, you're all out of a job. Let's have a party. I mean, <laughs> why not? I mean, I hope they gave severance. Well, they might. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what. I mean, the, if you're getting, a, the if terms you're getting of, a nice, nice severance, they might, they might and the tap room's going to be open for a while still. They got to turn through those kegs they've got. Really? Yeah. I didn't know the tap room was. I thought it was just completely unceremoniously shut no, down. No, tap room is still operating for a while because okay. they got a lot of beer to sell through, but they're not making it anymore. They also made. Um, they've distilled uh, whiskey for a long time. I mean, I can remember being there 15 years ago and. Like the first time I toured it, and mm-hmm. had no idea they made whiskey. And there were two huge stills. I'm like, oh, oh shit, they guys make whiskey. I had no idea they did whiskey. No, maybe that's their problem is they don't know how to market themselves. Maybe they had a nice building. Huge bummer though. Yeah, yeah. it's and it's like a neighborhood. You know, like a. It's got that but, deco mod, that deco art style. Yeah, I'm not, I don't remember what style. Deco, I'm, I'm not good at. I'm not good at different like style uh, periods. No, but. it's it's definitely an art deco style. That kind of yeah. I forgot the time period, but yeah. Um, I feel like our deck was like 20s or 30s? I think 20s? So. that's I what know. I wanted to yeah. say was around that time frame, but I wasn't sure. See, that's a big bummer, man. That bumps me out. I mean, as a beer as a beer guy and also someone who's been a big fan of them forever, that sucks. It sucks. Yeah. And also, I guess people are going to lose their jobs. And it, 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 and they, it, just, they, it just furthers the decline of San Francisco. Well, they, it's just, well, they complained, the, the whoever this manager was, that... And that was interviewed, you know, they was complaining a lot about the issues in San Francisco that really, really kind of forced this to happen. So, yeah, who knows, though? People always blame stuff when they go out of business. And yeah, but I mean, if we're, if since we're on this tangent already, I'm, I'm actually I've, I've always kind of been cautious of Dreamforce as of late. 
But this is the first time I'm actually really nervous. Are you going? No. Oh, okay. But I'm nervous for people going to Dreamforce. I mean, I, I haven't really. I I haven't heard. You know. You, you, you know what I'm. You know what I'm nervous about. What? I'm, and really nervous, scared, bummed that I have no options anywhere near Soma for beer spots now. They're all either out of <laughs> business gone. or go- they moved out. Because Soma's got, which is like where Salesforce is and, yeah. and Moscone. It's gone to shit. Yeah. Like no one wants to be in business there. Yeah, that's, that's my concern is that, that there's not going to be enough businesses open for people. And Everything's gone. Everything, which, I mean, all my beer places gonna, are gone. Which is going to further force them into areas of the city that may, they should probably should not be in. And I'm actually, this is the first time I've actually been genuinely concerned about people's safety in, at Dreamforce. I mean, normally it's fine. They do the clearing of, of that whole Moscone area. They push all the homeless out. They have ex- extreme police presence there. It, it's a safe area. Yeah. I just don't know if they're going to be able to do that this round. I've I've never well I'm, maybe I'm because there's not enough there's I'm, not enough businesses open left to support yeah the 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 amount of people yep. which means they're going to spread out into the city and yeah. if they're unaware of the problems of San Francisco it's going to be an issue I mean you and I walked back from someplace I don't remember where the last time we were there together and it got really sketchy fast I mean we took one turn and we were in yeah. Tent City oh yeah yeah it can get well I don't I'm not concerned about the the tents is not what's scary, um, but you walk down Market Street a couple, you know, a, a, a street or two further than what you should, mm-hmm. and those aren't tents, but that shit gets scary. Yeah, and, I, and I that's say when that that's meaning, when the, the violence, the extremely well, drug addicted people who are the violent ones. That's well, you know, it seems like there were. The, and that's a the distinction of, I want to make is yeah. that Tent City, when you and I were there, were just homeless people. Yeah, yeah. That, but Tent City fine. nowadays, meaning, are, are, it has a different meaning. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. The, the the drug use is, is rampant from what I've seen, yeah, and then, of sure. course this is anecdotal. This is what I see on YouTube well, or whatever well, on, on well, we have, articles have, on Gate. Yeah, the stats aren't good either. So. It's, it's just it's it's a scary time. So yeah. I would I would caution everyone to yeah. travel with a person. Well, don't go I, anywhere alone. Like, what am I? Where am I going to go now? I don't know. Because when I, I mean I'll tell you when I go to Dreamforce and TDX and all these things like. I definitely have to have Jeremy has to have his uh, getaway time, <laughs> his personal time. Yeah, I mean, his yeah, me time. So I gotta just I gotta escape and go to my happy place. Mm-hmm. And there are no happy places around there anymore, so I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. Well, at least I did, you can, you I'm can not gonna put name stickers it, everywhere. But I did find a vandalize. I did find a place yeah. that's got great food and pretty good local beer selection and a huge whiskey selection. I'm not gonna even say what it is because. I don't want, I don't want to get flooded when I'm because when I but when I'm Dreamforce, I'm definitely planning on visiting this place. Oh, you're not, 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 not even looking at the not, it's not a brewery. It's not a brewery. Not a brewery this, huh? It's not a tap room. Anything like that. It's it's, it's I guess a restaurant. Um, but it's kind of like tucked back. You know, you have to know the locals know about. It. Like everyone who works from Salesforce, luckily there knows about it. Like every every time I so I went there during TDX quite a bit. Uh, like almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> I was eating meals there and stuff because um, I cannot. I can't do conference food. I just can't do it. Mm. Um, I probably could go, but um, but I just I just don't. I don't. Mm. I just can't. But anyway, um, yeah. Half the people in that place every time I'm there are Salesforce employees. Really? Yeah. There's so many Salesforce employees there, and they all you know. It's like it's a couple blocks up from the tower. Mm. Okay, that makes or sense. A couple blocks over, I guess. Um, yeah, 
Anyway. But, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's see. Um, hmm. I don't really have much that, you know, Salesforce Engineering, or I guess it's the engineering group or whatever. They had this, you know, kind of blog post about how they they did some big, supposedly, uh, large language model. They called it XGen 7B. That's a cool name. What was different about this is they, again, I'm totally out of my element here, but their sequence link was 8K with, with up to 1.5 trillion tokens. And a lot of these other models, I think, are like 2 or 4K. And I think that the, the, the size is like the size of input it can take and also the size of output, I guess, as well. Yeah, one of the key differentiators of this thing is the 8K context window. A larger context window translates to a larger prompt and the output generated by the model. So this means it's possible to send prompts with additional context of the model and get larger responses. Um, they say it's an alternative to open source LLMs like Llama and Falcon and these different things. Um, Salesforce claims that its LLM achieves comparable res- comparable or better results than the current state-of-the-art language models of a similar size. Um, they also release this under the Apache 2.0 license, which I appreciate. Mm. They have a th- there's a few different variants, a 2K, 4K, and an 8K. There's a third variant, which is trained on instructional data, including uh, Databricks, Dolly 15K, Assist 1, and some, some other things, GPT-related sub-data sets, and those are only available f- under, under a research type of license. So. Uh, but Salesforce has used multiple data sets, such as Red Pajama and Wikipedia, and Salesforce's own data set called StarCoder which I had to say because I feel like that's a title candidate, Starcoder, <laughs> to train this model. I like it. But essentially, one of these things I always, anytime a Salesforce releases something that they think, they think is cool, engineering-wise, mm-hmm. I always go to, I gotta, gotta go to Hacker News and see what Hacker News is saying about it. Yeah. Really. I just can't find anyone who has any interest in this well, model. Isn't Hacker News all linked to Reddit posts and isn't Reddit kind of privatized now? No, they're completely separate. Hacker News is completely separate from Reddit. No relation whatsoever. As no, I know, I know that. I'm just saying I think a lot of Hacker News posts get linked to Reddit. Or to Reddit. Oh, yes, for two yes. sources. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Got to go or what? Again? Oh. Okay, yeah. and we're back. Um, anyway. You see the Salesforce starter announcement they made? Starter? Yeah. You mean their recent investments in AI or something else? No, no, else? no. It's like introducing Salesforce Starter. It takes me to the web page now. Get started fast with AI plus data plus CRM. I don't know oh. if it's like the new kind of professional edition, cheap or something, simple onboarding, built-in. Oh, John, that's my favorite. Built-in best practices. Nice. Efficient service. Email outreach automation. I don't know what this is, but they, yeah, it was a big, big announcement last last week, two weeks ago. I don't know. We haven't recorded so long. I, I lose. Gotta track make of that time. money. I know. It's just like anything else. They're just marketing the existing tooling. <laughs> no, I mean it seems like Salesforce is going to start weaving the. 
AI moniker to every everything, so every cloud is going to oh, get a PR announcement of how it's now AI enabled. Oh, by the way, the, this back to the there's, self- a, there's, a, there's some upcoming stuff for education and nonprofit that's going to get AI enabled. Oh, of course, it's it's all AI, John. It's all AI, mm-hmm. all AI, Bill. Um, no, my theory is that so you know Salesforce released this language model, and the problem with these language models and AI is there's not a lot of a moat. Uh, uh, so even like you know the big winner, OpenAI, mm-hmm. um, I think they're having their heyday right now. But the technology is advancing so fast, and the hardware for it is dropping in price. That what you know? What oh, I forget what they I forget the exact numbers are, but they're like what what cost you five million dollars to build a year ago is now fifty thousand dollars. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean orders of magnitude you know, drop in, in cost to build these things. And my theory is the only one who's going to make money out of this are the enterprise software companies who embed it, embed a commodity technology. And charge three hundred grand a year for it, <laughs> right? That's who's that's the people who actually because Salesforce isn't producing this. I mean, they've been trying, but they didn't. They didn't invent GPT. They ended up in a sudden, urgent crisis, having to license it from someone, despite the fact that they've been building AI for. What, when did they hire Brett and all his AI stuff or whatever you know or whoever it was? I forget who but, was the AI. The company, they, I mean, so much I ask stuff, and they yeah. just end up end up using uh, someone else's model, or you know, but it doesn't matter because it's all commodity. That's not where the money is. The money is in packaging it and reselling it as enterprise yes. software. But you got to remember, Salesforce is the trusted AI. It's got you got to have the trust in there. Oh yeah, that's 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 the value add, right? You can trust our AI. You know, whenever they did that, uh, I don't remember what it was, that event um, that they had where they talked about the AI initiatives and things like that. Benioff, for the first time ever, seemed, not maybe not the first time ever, but the most obvious case of has no idea what he's talking about. In every other aspect, he's kind of winged his way into, we've got this new feature, he's talked about it, he's talked about the value, and it somewhat made sense what from it? a high-level business perspective. Yeah. But when it came to the AI stuff, it's the first time I've ever heard him come off as like he had no clue what he was talking about. And every subsequent speaker after that, in, in essence, countermined or undermined what he'd said. Yeah, yeah. And even some of the business, the companies that they brought up to speak, were they were so vague in general about what they were doing with AI. It was yeah. just, it was nothing. Uh, that's not to say that the future things won't improve or, or the story won't improve around it. It's just that this was definitely a marketing initiative, that that event. And I, I, we haven't recorded Shocker. since then, so. Yeah. Um, there's a... Uh Google Ventures backs this thing called WeFlow to bring better, sorry, greater hygiene to Salesforce data, which reminds me, how many of these things, startups, venture-backed startups have we seen that we're going to like lay on top of Salesforce, either make the data better or the experience better or the the UI better for salespeople, all this? I mean, can we can we do some kind of, kind of, some kind of follow-up on these things and see who's still around? Squid is still around. But Squid also uh, in, uh, spread itself beyond Salesforce. They re-platformed. They re-platformed. They, they, uh, yes. They, they multi-platformed. Yes. 
Uh, let's see. Oh, this is a European thing. It's a German startup, WeFlow. It's the latest in a line of ecosystem startups to emerge from frustrations with using the omnipresent CRM software that is Salesforce. Tell me about it. Uh, these venture-backed startup the upstarts focus on things like providing data backups or improving lead generations. While just last week, a new company called Unaric emerged out of stealth with $35 million for the express purpose of buying and consolidating. Oh, yeah. Buying and consolidating Salesforce ecosystem startups. Did you see this? No. Yeah, they're going to buying all these like kind of early mid-stage IS, Salesforce ISVs, just buying them up. They're almost like a... Oh, what what do they call the companies that, that help people build ISVs? What are those called? P- PDO, product development outsourcers or organiz- whatever they are? It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a VC-backed yeah. PDO that's like, we're going to buy all these ISVs and consolidate them. And Yeah. What would be the... What's the equivalent of that? Who, who else did that? Who else just bought tons of apps and brought them under their brand? Is it like Symantec, Symantec <laughs> do that? Or I'm just thinking of like package mm-hmm. software, I guess. I don't know. Anyway. I, I do remember hearing something a little bit about that, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Well, John, anything else on your mind before we close out for another month or so? Hey, you know what? When is our... We talked about this earlier. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Good day. Good day, sir. Okay. October... October 24th. I think this will be our 10-year anniversary. October 24th is our 10-year? I think so. I think it's 10 years. There's no way we've been doing this for 10 years. I think so. It's definitely our anniversary. I went back and looked. I put it on my calendar. I'm not sure when the first year was. We should be able to figure that out, right? There's a there's a cocktail I've been trying to perfect. I think I'm going to try to perfect it. for for If we have an anniversary coming up, I'll do it for that. Our first episode was a cacophony of MVPs. Yep. October twenty episode one. We have an episode zero that we never do. aired. This is yeah a, a cacophony of MVPs. October twenty fourth, two thousand thirteen. Let's monetize us. How many people want to hear episode zero? <laughs> <laughs> do we have that? Yeah. Do we really? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, listen wow. to it. All right, John. Well. Unless you have something else to get off your chest. I have lots, but I'm not well, going to say it. Yeah. We can save it. Save it and refine it. For the good of my career. Curate it, it. Workshop it. So we have an outstanding product next time we record. Because we have such high production standards here. Yeah. Right? I will say that, that as, as a going out topic... Um, I've been revisiting a lot of kind of architecture and engineering principles, like at the low level, just kind of what these principles are. And I've seen some of the, the next generation developers kind of temper them and kind of put a greater context around them that aren't, aren't so strict. Um, and I, I find it a bit refreshing yeah. than the original kind of gang of four documentation where this is how you use yeah, it, this yeah, is the implementation, yeah. this is the intended. It seems like we're getting to a more of a practicality yeah, around yeah, these, yeah. these design it's, principles. I think it's a natural pushback against dogmatism. Yeah, yeah. Which is always, it's, it's a natural cycle. Mm-hmm. Things are always going to be dogmatic. Yeah. And you'll have some other group that follows later that's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll take the good stuff from that, but you don't have to be dogmatic about it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I find it refreshing. So, yeah. I've been, yeah. I've been doing a lot of that. And so, anyways. Yeah, 
That's all I got. Hey, it's good to yeah. catch up with you, man. It's been a while. It has been. And it, how long has it been since we did a uh, in the field recording? We, we, we call this a field recording? I think this might be a normal. I mean, given my schedule, I mean, mine too. the Sundays might be. Well, that's another thing we didn't, we didn't mention, but today's Sunday for us. Yeah. And when's the last time we recorded on a weekend? And, and, and then furthermore, when's, have we ever recorded, recorded on a weekend? We've never recorded on a weekend. Yeah. We've always found ways to make it work during the week. Yeah. It's kind of hard these days. But really yeah. Hard. I mean, honestly, none of it's easy. Like, we, we both have, like, probably 1.5x jobs and family <laughs> stuff and kid stuff. And it's like... Yeah. This is... Yeah, it's... I enjoy it, but it's, it's hard to... It's hard to, harder and harder to find the time. Yeah. When you have senior in your title, it kind of makes you busy. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you're getting paid to be a senior. Sure. What happens if you become an executive senior? Whatever. I don't want to be that. Uh, I, I told you this that my boss was uh, an ex- well, he was out of town, and the this new business initiative happened to fall on the time that he was out of town. So he did join some of the calls. Which convenient for him, huh? No, he he <laughs> he, he rallied and joined some of, some of the calls, but I ended yeah. up taking over for him, and I realized I don't want your job. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. But anyways, uh, we have a Slack. We do have a Slack. Yeah. How do you get to that Slack, John? Uh, go to www.gooddaysir.com. Click on pod, uh, click on community. Uh, register there, and oh, we'll get you added. Yep. If you have any uh, topics for us, we'd appreciate that. Yeah. Go to info at goodday.sir.com. Uh, info at sir.com. I'm not normal the normal ones that do these, you but... You still don't get it right. How'd it go? <laughs> you did still didn't say it right. I'm trying to do this. Info at goodday.sirpodcast.com. That's right. Because goodday.sir.com is taken, and the guy wants five grand for me to take yeah. the URL. Yeah, maybe we can do a GoFundMe to buy it. And since we're, uh, <laughs> we're a... We're a Monetized negative, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, podcast. Negative. I can't afford to spend five grand on the domain, <laughs> yes. so it's gooddaysirpodcast.com. dot com. Yeah. We're what you uh, call negative equity, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that works, <laughs> but <laughs> no. that's honestly like I will wrap this up. But like, we still get the. I mean, you probably see these emails, like people wanting to uh, advertise, yep. um, pay to have their CEOs come on. Hell, the freaking yeah. what was it the steel brick ceo or whatever yeah. what? like, <laughs> <laughs> but i think people don't i obviously it also tells me people don't listen if you listen you would know that we don't we don't do that we don't do that yeah um i used to respond to everyone now i'm like eh, just, oh i never I'll just do. Let no, it die. I, just, I mean yeah it's Sorry. unsolicited i'm not it's just not we yeah. just don't do that that's not what we do so i will get a batch of stickers out because john fixed my printer so if you want stickers also info at gooddaysirpodcast.com just send your address and I had actually got one or two, oh, most amazing one I've ever seen. I had sent some stickers to, to New Zealand mm-hmm. about nine months ago. I think it was nine months ago. Just got it returned. Returned to sender. Returned to sender. And oh, it wow. made it back to me. Nine months. That's crazy. Very. I'm, I can't believe it made it back to me after that long. Like, who's, like, under whose seat did that sit for eight months and then I mean, someone, it, someone finally found it like oh shit we gotta get this back to the sender like <laughs> <laughs> yeah now it might have gotten returned to the sender because by the time it got to where it was supposed to go the person had moved oh maybe but still nine so months whoever received it wrote return to sender on it 
So I don't know if it took that long to get to the destination or if it took that long to get back to me. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Good point. So I'm, I'm gonna, I got the new address. I'm going to send those back out. But got, I got them on the list. But Awesome. Anyway. All right. Well, All right, John. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.